Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I team up to mourn the passing of Rich Buckler, discuss the odd transition of the comics industry back in the early 80s, as well as the likelihood of lost works from that era, the transcendence of Chris Claremont, the cancellation of Black Panther and the crew, the 100th birthday of Jack Kirby, the return of Twin Peaks, Volume 1 of Darth Vader, the new XO Man of War series, Vampirella, Nam Wolf, Medicine, old issues of The Brave and the Bold by Jim Apparel and Bob Haney, and much, much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. Jefferson Lester. <laughs> Gramothy McMillan. Hello. Gramagon McMilligan. <laughs> hey. or, sorry, Gramagar. Yeah, did you see all the comments? Mm-hmm. Apparently, that was the first appearance of his name. Ah, I feel very proud of myself. I I think you should. I (laughs) genuinely thought it was Kirby Thicken. I was 100% wrong, as proven by our listeners. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, listeners. Yeah, your your ability to research is much better than ours. Uh, Bless you. That was I love knowing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Like you said, like we get to find out and. We didn't really have to do any of the work, really. Yeah, so I didn't say something wrong. <laughs> exactly. Like, let me look into that. Which was the best? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm, I'm genuinely not being sarcastic. I love that. No, no, I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Good stuff. Hi. Hey. Uh, man, so did you hear about Rich Buckler? I did. I just saw it. Yeah, me too. Like just about like uh just about 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago. And I'm like, ah. And and you know, for me I'm like, oh, I liked his work, but like that's the extent of it. It's, I I would be lying if I said that Rich Buckler was a favorite, but I think he was one of your favorites, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, I I did a big piece on uh on our website about a year ago um as I did a read through of Deathlock, the you know, and I, uh, I, I liked Buckler's stuff. It hit me, hit me at the right time. I mean, it helps, I think, that I was sort of young enough. Some of the things that I really liked about Buckler's work, I later, as I got older and read back a little further, you know, he was clearly heavily influenced by Steranko. Um, you know, he was talented enough to soak up a, a lot of influences. And, uh, and, you know, he also, unsurprisingly, like a lot of guys from that time era, he just outright lifted stuff, you know, for his Fantastic Four run. Yeah, he really did. I mean, his FF run is filled mm-hmm. with, with just, you know, staggeringly obvious lifts. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's a lot of stuff that I adored in his, uh, the, the few issues of Jungle Action that, that, kickstarted the uh, the Panthers Rage run that were gorgeous stuff that it wasn't until much later I was like, oh wow, some of this stuff is not subtle lifts from John Basima's work with the Black Panther in Avengers as well. So, you know. Well, but something that's interesting is, so, you know, you're saying all this, but I remember, uh, I want to say not that long ago, a few months ago, uh, 
bucklers all over like nineteen late nineteen seventies and early nineteen eighties Superman stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which as you know is 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 a particular favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've sort of had this this reawoken uh, discovery of Buckler outside of the the Fantastic Four stuff, which I think is what I was most aware of him for. Mm-hmm. And he re- like he really did have chops. Yeah. Well, see, and that's it. I think it, it gets overlooked because of how, um, how good he was actually at lifting. Uh, but he, he did have chops. He really did. And, um, I just think, you know, he created Deathlock and it's, it's a pretty great creation. It's a, it's a great lift of a bunch of different things. And I just thought it was, at the time, I loved it, and then revisiting it, frankly, I thought it was it was pretty great. It was, it was, um, you know, I mean, the interesting if you go and you read Deathlock, it's um, to tie it in to your and Matt's uh, roundtable on Spawn Number One. There are those guys that you can kind of sort of separate. I think one of your comments was that um, McFarlane, unlike Liefeld, his choices that he his stylistic choices that he made were not from any sort of weakness he yeah he he had he had the skills what he chose to do with them with his ridiculous overconfidence was sort of you know um uh another thing entirely yeah Yeah, but but separate and apart and similarly with buckler you really see in deathlock um you know a lot of the blessing and the curse of of having having the artist uh, drive the bus like Deathlock. The comic is always visually interesting. It feels, but it also feels like being trapped in a low budget movie where characters just seem to run around the same four sets over and over again. And there's new ways to cause, you know, mayhem with them. But, mm-hmm. you know, so strictly because of either his obsessions or very much like, Oh, this is what I want to draw. I want to draw rubble and I want to draw a helicopter. But, um, but I did. I loved that stuff. I had a real appreciation for his work. Um, you know, he was a he was a controversial figure uh in in comics history in some cases. You know, he went on to uh I think write, draw, and I think maybe even edit one of the Archie's Red Circle revivals books in the late eighties, maybe early nineties, uh and fell afoul of the comics journal. I never read the issues um, in general, but he there was some blurring as to whether he was having characters make anti-Semitic remarks in the book or if he was, you know, writing them in character or not, I guess. I think it was something about the S.H.I.E.L.D. maybe being an old-school American and therefore felt very comfortable um, being racially insensitive and... It may have spread. I don't know. Between that and the lifts and various other things, Buckler was very much, um, I don't know, you know. It's weird because it doesn't seem like he has a very, um, any more of a complex history, say, than many people from the times. Uh, but, you know, he was there. He, You know, it's also interesting, as someone, as many other people pointed out, he was doing the art during the... Um, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, the the death of Gene DeWolf arc, 
was Buckler working in yet a totally another mode. Like if you look at that stuff, it's very hard to imagine that it's the guy doing the um doing the Kirby lifts and riffs well, in that, Fantastic that's just Four. That, that's one of the reasons why I love his Superman stuff so mm-hmm. much. Because it it looks nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's it's if anything closer to like Neil Adams. Right. Right. Exactly. You know? He could he could go he could skew Starenko, he could skew Adams, um, you know, by the the stuff that he's doing in Spectacular Spider Man. It's it's tough because it's being inked by Bob McLeod, so it looks kind of like Bob McLeod, you know, since he's such an mm-hmm. overwhelming yeah. inker. But it's but it is kind of more restrained, sketchier stuff, something that more likely to be mistaken for Jesus, I don't, I don't know. You know, Mike Esposito say than Kirby. So I mean, yeah, he, he he had a, he had a lot of skills, and overall, it's just I think a shame to see someone. Oh, plus I think he helped create uh, Devil Slayer, which is a character I've had inordinate fondness for. Um, you know, he was the first artist in All Star Squadron as well, which is you know again getting back to like my love of mm-hmm. DC versus your love of Scare Marvel, but right, yeah, you know, All Star Squadron as much as I think everyone would go, well, it's a Roy Thomas book. He was the first guy on it, you know? Yeah. And he, he, yeah, it's, he, he had this very strange career that, you know, probably now is going to get a reappraisal, but probably deserved a reappraisal while he was still around to enjoy it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it is one of the things that's tough and weird, you know, in that, in that regard. Um, you know, it's such a contrast with, uh, George Perez, who started out as, as his assistant and went on to much, much greater, uh, levels of sustained success. You know, Perez more or less officially announced his retirement recently and kind of said like, Hey, you know, thanks to the work that I've drawn, I'm kind of, I'm set for life. You know, I can comfortably well, retire. And yeah, but also like there were medical reasons. I don't think mm-hmm. it was just like I'm I'm rich. I think it was also like my eyesight is going. Oh yeah, no 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 no. And Perez has had some major health issues o- over time, certainly. And I, you know, but but it does. If nothing else, it just seems to suggest that the difference by sort of just a few years makes a very very big difference. You know, Deathlock is a character that is going to continue. To survive, and I don't know necessarily if Marvel threw Buckler any money when the character came, you know, came up in Agents of Shield. I would. I'm, re- I'm actually at this point pretty sure they did. I think they did if as only, well. Did, yeah. did you see the um, the interview that uh, Kieran Shack did with uh, Steve Englehart and Polygon? I did see that. Mm-hmm. And, and he, like, Englehart pretty much is like, oh, no, Marvel Marvel did all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, when Disney got taken over. When mm-hmm. Disney took them over. So I think I think we're probably in good shape. Yeah, it seems like they're doing a, a little better care of their people. So, But it's still maybe not the same thing that would have happened if Rich Buckler had created a Deathlock just a few years later under the Epic Comics imprint, you know? Yeah, no, no entirely true. I mean, which just... You know, look at um, uh, sort of the swashbucklers, the mantle right. thing, mm-hmm. which is is getting revived by Dynamite now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's 
that's kind of amazing mm-hmm. you know, to me. And I say that as someone who loves Mandalo and and just recently read Surge's. I was about to say I'm not I'm not, I'm half convinced the sort of the uh, Swashbucklers um, reboot is more or less directly uh, you're directly responsible for it, Graham. So. <laughs> sure, that's it's, it's all me. I have I have that power. Um, <laughs> but no, I I, I think I, I I think that's you know I, I if you can imagine. That's, if you can imagine Deathlock having been a thing that stood entirely outside of the Marvel Universe. And I think there's a lot of Marvel Universe concepts or Marvel concepts at that point which kind of fit. Kill Raven as well. Right. Um, you know, if you, if they'd been done for Epic and the creators had retained control, even if Marvel didn't want anything to do with them, you know, you could have seen Buckler or someone else take them to Image or Dark mm-hmm. Horse or, or someone else in the nineties. Yeah, well, and as you point out, they were they were separate. That sort of you know apocalyptic future, dystopian future books that they both had were pretty separated until you know they were sort of tied in by a Marvel team up issue, or Deathlock gets tied up in uh, Marvel two and one, and then back to Captain America, but only in a way kind of of necessity. You know, you can read that whole Deathlock run. It really could be published by anyone for the first, except it ends on a cliffhanger, you know, so. Well, that, that does not mean it couldn't have been published by anyone. Well, no, that's It's true. not like yeah. other publishers got comics. But I mean, think about it. Even outside of Epic, uh, Kirby was doing Pacific Comics by, what, 1980? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's really. You know, there, there is a possibility. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. Like, he was so close to, to being able to, and Buckler had, I think, the, the, the name mm-hmm. that he could have gone yeah. to Pacific Comics. Especially when you think of Pacific Comics also did, uh, did they do Death, uh, Dreadstar, or am I imagining that? Uh, Definitely did Ms. Mystic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they did, what were the other titles they did? They did Mike Grail, or Mike Grail story. Uh, the, oh, did they do Mike Grell's stuff? The post. Well, was it John Sable Freelance? Yeah. I think you're getting there's there's Pacific and there's First, so there's a bunch of stuff that was no no I I, I say they did like Star Slayer. Oh Mike yeah, Grell. they did do Star Slayer. You're right. Yeah, Pacific Comics did Star Slayer. I want to say I mean I always get confused. The Bruce Jones, uh, EC Comics horror series. Maybe they did that before it ended up over at Eclipse Twist. Twisted Tales, maybe I don't know. I gotta admit, Pacific Comics is not my is not my strong. But but that's just it. Like, so I'm looking. I'm now looking at Wikipedia, which doesn't give me the list. Of, oh, it does give you a list of titles. Um, let's see. Uh, Captain Victory grew the Wanderer. Oh yeah! Wow. Started there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mystic. Mm-hmm. Rocketeer started a Pacific. Wow. Uh, Star Slayer. Mm-hmm. They did a bunch of stuff. They did uh, Ditko stuff as well. You know, so you can see Buckler publishing through them yeah. in, in another world. Yeah, absolutely. If it wasn't yeah. for the fact that he ended up at DC and probably was getting decent page rates, he very well might have. And or I don't know if he really had quite the fan pull. You know, people like Cat Ironwood and Dean Mullaney at Eclipse were were pretty you big fanboys, you know, and yeah, you don't think Buckler had the same pool as Grell at that point, really? I don't know. I mean, my thing is, is that it's, it's, it's certainly possible. I'd like to say yes, but like Deathlock was a relatively small blip 
And I just don't think he's quite the, I also feel that somebody like the, like the Eclipse team were very writer oriented, you know, so mm-hmm. they were really into getting like Steve Gerber or um, Don McGregor. But, you know, apart from a few super standout artists like Pete Craig Russell, for example, I don't know if there were that many dudes who, like, I don't know if Paul Galassi would have been able to get the work that he got if he wasn't working with Doug Minch in a lot sure. of that stuff, sure. you know, yeah. I'm not sure or if it's exactly the opposite. If Doug Minch was just around for the ride and people were killing to get their hands on Galassi. I don't, I don't really know, but n- needless to say, for whatever reason, it was a very, it was, it, it was just a gap of a few years. And for whatever reason, Buckler wasn't there on it in part because in some cases he was, you know, He'd thrown a lot, some of his ideas at Marvel much sooner. So I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting game of what if, you know, cause he, he is, he's one of those creators and there's a bunch of them Mm -hmm. who you feel if they just peaked like two years later. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Things, things would have been very different in general. I mean, I'm always fascinated by thinking about Pacific and Eclipse and Epic as well Mm -hmm. as, really opening up creator-owned comics in a way that you kind of forget. Mm-hmm. The modern history of the the American comic book industry mm-hmm. ignores that and is like, and then Image came along and changed the game. Right. It's like, but they didn't because this existed in the 80s and then went away. Right. Well, I mean, that's kind of the, I mean, the weirdo guessing game is, of course, you've got the underground comics from the 60s and 70s kind of morphing into but you're right the the stuff with if it wasn't for the fact that there at least two-thirds of them the eclipses implosion and all the controversy with that and the fact that first comics went down and tied up so many intellectual properties with their contracts i think i think it's that kind of People aren't nearly as pr- as proud about it. You know what I mean? It's it's a messy history. Well, but but also, I I genuinely think people don't know about it. That could be too. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, but in some cases, I think they don't know about it because, again, a lot of that stuff. I mean, it's a little weird. You mentioned Mike Grell. He went on. He did Star Slayer. He had a ridiculous amount of John Sable freelance issues that just aren't there you know uh dreadstar went from epic to first and got republished via dynamite like and that's the other thing is i feel like some of the, some of the tastes have changed it's not necessarily like a lot of these guys um seem to have the kind of you know there's a small group of, of really hardcore faithful fans of which i guess i count myself as one at least part of the time but Mm -hmm. it's not enough that they have like wow you know we're on volume three you know it's the third dreadstar omnibus is out you know it's like i think first published it and was like okay well you know no one's coming to that yard um yeah it but it's so it's so strange there are just comics that and and this is kind of taking off the the buckler subjects to an extent, but there are creators and comics that seemed at the time, and even if you look at it objectively now, like were really important and were really popular for a period that just people don't 
think about now. No. Like, no, I, I still think about, like, do you not remember Nexus being a really fucking big deal in the 80s? Oh, absolutely. Nexus was huge. Was, was really big. And, you know, and now it kind of ekes out kind of a marginal existence, it seems, with some archival reprints that I think themselves they were having trouble republishing all of. But it used to be like a big deal. I mean, you know, it's just that weird thing of service used to be a, a big deal, a really big mm. deal. You mm-hmm. know, there's just a variety of that stuff that, like you said, seems to have faded. And I'm interested the degree to which if that's happened, in part because for probably mostly for better, the comics idiom has changed, you know, like it's very, um, it's, you know, I think if you look at comics today, most of them are a lot more, uh, visual in a lot of ways. Like we complain, people complain about them being fast reads, but you know, you go back and you read comics from the seventies and some of them are just so absurdly dense, you know, that light practically disappears onto the page. <laughs> you know? No, but it's, but it's true. I mean, if you look at – it's so strange to think about the popularity of a Gerber mm-hmm. or a McGregor. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, Englehart kind of fits into – I don't know. Englehart's popularity today seems logical mm-hmm. because, sure, he was – obtuse enough to be entertaining to the Gerber heads. Mm-hmm. But he was also all about making the continuity line up. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, it's totally understandable to be like, someone who really dug Thomas would really dug Engelhart. Well, but the fact that, like, Gerber and McGregor were, like, really fucking big mm-hmm. seems so strange. It seems strange now. It seems strange in a way that Engelhart is big and Thomas isn't. You know, I think that, I think that Englehart is in many ways a much bigger anomaly. Cause again, a little bit like that interview, uh, with Karen Shack, uh, over the first Secret Empire. It's like Secret Empire has a strong hook and Captain, the nomad story that follows it has a very strong hook, you know, and, his, Wait, just, you, you mean you mean Englehart's Secret Empire? Sorry, did I say? I'm sorry, I meant. I meant no, I, I, I just yeah. got confused. But no, you no, mean no, no, Englehart's story, yeah. right? A- Englehart's story stuff yeah. still has that kind. It's still, I think, it's still sticky. Like sort of the way that we were talking about, like something like Millennium. Like maybe the art doesn't necessarily, you know, ring modern Take chimes. Hey, I'm I like Joe Stanton's work, as you know, and you and I are both big fans of how Jordan's Green Lantern stuff. And frankly, I think that you can put that stuff in trades, and people generally can pick it up because even though it is in the the idiom of the day, it's it's got it's got that sort of combination of hooks, continuity, and characterization, you know, and and bless them. You know, I, oh God, you know, McGregor was one of my first comic book writing loves, but you know, you don't necessarily sit there and be like, oh yeah, there's a guy who really had, you know, characterization down. I mean, you know, or whatever, like all of his characters kind of talk the same and, you know, of course the, the writing is, is, you know, gorgeously uh, florid, but 
you know, it, Gerber well, lives it, and dies by sort of the strengths of his quirkiness, I suppose. Like they, they're all going to draw people, but it's kind of, it's interesting to me that I would be really surprised if these guys, most of them were finding any kind of new, if it was even possible for them to find new readership, you know? Well, what's really interesting about them from me mm-hmm. uh, is Claremont really clearly comes from like that light. Very much. You know? Very much. But Claremont then gave birth to the 1990s yes. yeah, school yeah, yeah. of comic writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Claremont is this weird bridge character. We've He's talked before huge, about yes. Golden being a bridge artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Golden is informed by the, those who came, came before, but like Golden and then Art Adams and then Image. Like there's a, there's a clear line. Well, and George Perez too. I mean, I know you guys in that Spawn thing, the scene that Oh, there, yeah, I, there's a very clear Perez influence in, in McFarlane's art. Well, McFarlane, but also Liefeld. If you look at the way that Liefeld has his characters' mouths hang open, you know, catching <laughs> flies. Oh, what? Liefeld was incredibly open about his Perez influence. Yeah, exactly. It's huge. It's huge. It's really hard to, to um, I think, overstate. But... So Perez, yeah, there's a couple of those bridge artists that are very important. But like you said, there's all, I think I think Claremont is really the guy who it's it's amazing cuz he comes so squarely out of the same talky Marvel tradition that all the other character that all those other writers come from and yet he sticks like he he ends up sort of transcending it and like you said, more or less kind of setting the pace. Like people in their head in the the eighties and nineties, if they're writing by who they're influenced of, it's this unholy amalgam of Claremont and Moore and Miller, you know, and then maybe a few other haphazard influences, but like you know, but Claremont is such a major, he's kind of inescapable. Sort of the same way that for better or for worse, I feel like Brian Bendis is going to be inescapable for the next generation. Or even the current generation of comic writers. Oh god, writers, that, that's a see. depressing thing to say. I, well, I mean, it is and it isn't. Hopefully they will take, they'll take what they need and, and pick the rest up. But, you know, I mean, as someone who is, uh, I, I, I want to re- read more of David Walker's David F. Walker's stuff. It's Walker is a, is a guy whose work I enjoy, and it and I see I feel like there's he is if he's not influenced by Bendis, he's you know very sensibly co opting bits of the voice to make himself as more of a recognizable. He's, he's, he's definitely writer. aware of Bendis. Yeah, you know. So, but yeah, Claremont is just this huge, and it's weird because, because again, I mean, Claremont is one of those guys where he's so, he's so idiosyncratic. And it's, you know, I, I think the other thing that's amazing about Claremont is he never lost his ability to, I mean, you know, this is the sort of stuff that will give John Byrne fits, but I feel like he follow, he let the artist lead and then he kind of came in in the background and did his thing, 
You know what I mean? So he sort of made his style fit, but there is something that's kind of amazing that, that Claremont, even though Claremont is, is writing exactly the same way on say Cockrum and Byrne and Smith and Romita Jr. And Jim Lee, he's, they're not the same kind of books. They're not, they're not necessarily paced the same way per se. At least I don't think so. Maybe I'm hugely wrong on that. You know, cause I think he was like, yeah, I'll let the artists do what they want. They could draw what they want. You know, I want to tell these stories, but you know, as long as they're okay with designing, you know, 87 new characters, you know, that live in the sewers or, you know, ride around on all terrain vehicles hunt, hunting mutants. I'm totally down with it, you know? And so I don't know. <laughs> And we're back. Oh, you sound much better. Hopefully, uh, if this keeps up, we're we're golden. Hooray! Hooza! Anyway, Hooza. so where we last got to mm-hmm. was uh, was you were singing Chris Claremont's praises. Yeah, yeah, I think I but, think I was. But mm-hmm. it, isn't it like isn't it kind of amazing that I feel that when you look at especially like the history of the superhero comic genre Mm -hmm. claremont seems to be you know portrayed as coming out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and and he definitely doesn't like claremont is very much part of a school of marvel comics at the time oh very much so very much so well that's the weird part yeah he grows organically out of it but on the other hand he does bring his own particular set of fixations to it sure but as did all of as did all of those writers. Well, yes. But I'm saying, like, it's very odd in a way. Um, you know, Bill Mantlow's been getting more appreciation and love recently. But he uh, was kind of a forgotten great yeah. in many ways. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's, you know, I'm very glad that Mantlow is getting more attention. Mm-hmm. But But there are a chunk of forgotten greats. Yeah. And, you know, to bring it back to Buckler for a second, Buckler is one of them. Yeah. And I worry that this is kind of where we are now. That there are going to be forgotten greats who will be remembered after they are dead or they are, you know, a terrible accident has happened to them or, you know, they're medical, you know, they're going blind or or something right. tragic has happened. Mm-hmm. As opposed to you're just going to get you know, a critical reappraisal of, you know, Creator X's work. Right. Well, I think the thing, to me, the thing that's rough and about comics really is just that until you get to the Marvel royalty era, <clears throat> Marvel and DC royalty era, you don't get the sort of possibility for payouts that allow um, writers and artists to, to more or less survive. You know what I mean? And so it, it was real common in the seventies for a lot of spectacular artists to leave the field because they're like, you know, fuck this. And that still happens where they, you know, end up doing Hollywood storyboards for Hollywood or they end up going back into advertising or they finally get the leg into advertising and they they had always wanted but couldn't get which is why they ended up in comics you know people are mm-hmm. it it does need to be 
a career. Like, um, have you ever heard of Margaret Miller? No. I, this is where you're going to be like, Margaret Miller was blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, oh, I've heard of that. But okay, who is Margaret Miller? Margaret Miller is uh, – uh, she was a, a mystery writer who started, I guess, in the close of World War II and continued writing books through the 70s. Her husband, uh, Ken Miller, uh, is wrote mystery novels under the name Ross McDonald. And oh, okay. I know Ross McDonald. Exactly. Everyone, it, people are aware of Ross McDonald, but, but the crazy thing is, is that Margaret Miller, his wife was, was this, was the successful one first. Like she ended up after they got married, she typed up a couple of his stories so that he could send them off to the pulps. This was up in Canada, I think, and and before they ended up moving to Santa Barbara. And she was like, mm, this, I feel like I could do this. She had grown up basically more or less reading pulp magazines um, that I think her father bought and was super highly intelligent. Her work is just flat out fucking great. And it's only it's been out of print for maybe one or two of her books have sort of tagged along in print. She was named like a grandmaster for the, uh, by the main mystery society. I can't remember who the hell they are. The Edgars, the, those guys. She's, okay. you know, I, I honestly she, thought it's like, you meant like main right. state. It's the state. She, she wanted to, she, you know, she, actually did she ended up selling the rights to one of her screenplays and so in Santa Barbara you know she was she basically you know ended up writing screenplays for Hollywood under the studio system you know worked with William Faulkner um never really I mean a couple of her things got uh produced for like Alfred Hitchcock presents the tv show but her novels are fucking tremendous because the the reason why i know about this is someone on twitter had said some good things about uh beast and view uh which i read about i want to say like a year ago like i I found a copy last time i was up visiting you in portland at good old powell's and uh beast and view is uh, is an amazingly well plotted mystery but she also just she just writes like a motherfucker she's just Oh, she's so good. Anyway, she's got her entire oeuvre is coming back into print. They're like publishing these Omnibuy. Um, uh, what's the company? I can't actually. Is it Hardcase? Is, is it like that? No, no. It's it's interesting. It's something like um. Hold on. Do do do. I want to say it's like Spring something. Margaret Muller Omnibus. Um. Why, why won't you find it? Oh, because you're in electronics. Oh, you're so clever, Amazon. Um, <laughs> Amazon does appreciate when you call them clever. Yeah, it is true. You're so clever, Amazon. is like, thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Have an Alexa. I don't want one. It's already in your house. It's been under your bed for two months. Um, Wait, okay. Before you go any further, you've heard, and I could be wrong, I think it's the Amazon Echo, the thing, the voice activated one. Oh yeah. That's Apparently, what. if you tell it, fire walk with me, it does some weird Twin Peaks thing. No. Uh. I don't know what it does, but I've seen lots of people today on Twitter being like, 
tell your Amazon Echo Fire Walk with me and see what it does. And no one's said what it does. What it actually does. That's very creepy. Uh, Soho Syndicate. Soho Syndicate is producing. They've got like four volumes of her novels. Uh, each, each volume is like literally like five books. And oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And her, her, like the next, the, the, I want to say the fifth and final volume or fourth and final is, is, is maybe out like in two months or something like that. Anyway, I've been reading her stuff and completely fucking spellbound and she's so good. And I find myself being like, I can't believe that she was, you know, that I'd never heard of her and she seemed more or less almost forgotten. I mean, she's got, she's undergoing this revival, but it's, but it's kind of fucking nuts. But but the fact is, there's so many good writers that just mm-hmm. and creators that you know uh, just die in disappear. Obscurity. Yeah, disappear. Like they'll be gone. And you know, I sometimes I do. You know, it's so funny us over at the Baxter Building talking about John Byrne. You know, and how huge that guy's career was. It seems somehow almost impossible to kind of try and convey to people that weren't there at the time, I feel, you know, and yet I have, I have a total, if he dies in the next 10 years, I think 15 years after that, no one will be aware of him at all, you know? Oh, do you think so? Really? I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, but, mm, I mean, yeah, kind of, I mean, people will sort of know him because I think that, for example, the Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past are, are, are always going to be in print, you know, even yeah. with Marvel's shitty um, publication and distribution system. I think they're just always going to be in print and people are always going to return to those as, as wellsprings. But, you know, I don't really know. Like, I, I remember those a lot of the um, those uh, DC celebration of 75 years books it feels like most of them made a point to throw a burn story in there but yeah but i but i remember reading but, some but of it, them but it's his marvel like, stuff that that right matters for want of a better way of putting it yeah. the problem is when you look at his marvel stuff it really is x-men and fantastic four because no offense mm-hmm. no one gives a shit about alpha flight no and, no, and i don't can't imagine anyone ever will you know. And when he he comes back for She Hulk and Namor and and that sort of second wave of mm-hmm. Burton, mm-hmm. it's lesser work. Mm-hmm. Well, I think as as people listening to us on Baxter Building are aware, were the the quality of Burton's work within the FF is is somewhat variable as well. You know, but but even so, even within that, it's still like that run as a whole. Is really impressive. Yeah. Oh, I agree. It is. It is. You know, like that's a yeah. that's a really impressive body of work. Sure. Just just that run. I mean, consider that he basically came off X Men and mm-hmm. went into that. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. And yet, I'm still kind of like, mm, I don't know. Don't. I. I don't know because yeah. there is a little bit, sadly, of that thing of of. Maybe in like five years, 10 years, 15 years, we'll be, you know, or six months, we'll be looking at an amazing Fantastic Four revival. But those characters may well be also characters that just were of their time and the times have changed so much that they don't, 
it's hard it's hard to make them click you know well okay let's pivot off that then mm-hmm. it's fantastic first coming back for marvel legacy right You've said so. Everyone but, seems but, but to like, think so. Surely they must be. If only because if they're not, Marvel is doing nothing for Kirby's 100th birthday. That makes no sense. That makes no sense to me. And don't get me wrong. I would not be surprised if Marvel makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But in Kirby's, I mean, Kirby gave birth to the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. And the one thing Marvel does to celebrate his legacy in his 100th birthday is Monsters Unleashed? Mm-hmm. That's insane to me. In that we have, in the month that Kirby, in the month of Kirby's 100th birthday, mm-hmm. we're getting Marvel Legacy, which we know is doing a revival mm-hmm. at the end of the book of a, of a beloved property. It's got to be fantastic for right like it has to be i'm i i'm sure you're right i i mean i say i'm sure you're right but i mean i don't i don't know i mean everyone seems to 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 have this um i don't know it just seems very convinced certainly considering the dem the sort of marvel trying to woo the 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 graybeards the- back yeah, yes, exactly. You would think so. It, it, with, right? the, with the nostalgia angle of legacy. Yeah, but I kind of, then yeah, it with those. It only makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I, like, I, part of me is just, I refuse to believe Marvel will let the Fantastic Four lie fallow forever. I don't think they will, they will let the property become, uh, you know, it was the flagship of the time, but now we'd much rather do Iron Man. I, I, that doesn't that doesn't seem cynical enough for Marvel, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the idea of Marvel not being craven enough to be like, hey, it's people are crying out for a fucking Fantastic Four revival. I mean, people are crying out for three Inhumans books. No. Right. I, I, are, with people, that are people mindset, really crying out for a Fantastic Four revival? Don't I would say people are crying out for a Fantastic Four revival more than they're crying out for, you know, a new Electra series. Mm-hmm. Well, Do you yeah, know what I mean? but um, or or monsters unleashed in general. Sure, sure. No, I I I I get that, but I don't know. I just it it just seems to make so much sense, which you know is almost a guarantee now that they won't do it. Yeah, exactly. It's always the whole um, you know Captain Atom as monarch thing. Mm-hmm. You guys all thought it was the Fantastic Four. Really, is Irving Forbush. <laughs> But well, you know what I mean? Like, especially with Jason Aaron writing, I would actually not put an Irving Forbush appearance past him. Genuinely wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is true. Yeah. Forbush Man is Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> Forbush Manhattan. <laughs> See? Yeah. It all makes sense. It all makes exactly. sense, Graham. You all made fun of him when he appeared in Marvel Age corner boxes for 100 issues, but it turns out he's actually the cosmic force behind it all. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. For myself, I'm kind of like, I do, I, I really would be interested to see what it would take to make the Fantastic Four work. You know, I mean, and of course, it's like, yeah, it's Al Ewing but, but, writing and well, Lad uh, Ryan, you know. But. Sure, but also Jason Aaron writing, I think would, would, would keep the book alive. 
Jason Aaron can make Doctor Strange work in the marketplace, and work is literally just stay in publication. Yeah, but let's look at how long Doctor Strange was more or less out of publication. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think I think the FF just haven't been gone long enough, frankly. You know, like sure, there's some like, oh yeah, we got to get it back and the legacy and Kirby. But I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just have that feeling like no one's really going to buy that book because I don't think like anyone's really at a point where they're fond of the oh, characters. I, no, I, I, I think I, – I no, I, I disagree with you. Okay. I, I genuinely do disagree with you. I think that if you position it right and you have a good creative team and especially that it ties so much into the Marvel legacy of it all. I I think that you can make it a hit, especially with Jason Aaron on the book. Mm-hmm. And again, hit in the current Marvel numbers, which realistically means like thirty thousand. Sure, right. You know, it's. Uh, did you see the? You saw that Black Panther and the crew is cancelled. Yes, I did, which I thought was hilarious because I was like, okay, I'm going to try and stick with this book. I bought like two issues of it and now it's fucking cancelled. only two issues around. I know. I can't tell you the number of books that I have like, I subscribe to via Comixology and they are dead in the water. Between that and God bless him, Adam Knave's book, like I had, I had Comixology subscriptions queued up for both of those and I'm like, Okay, well, that's never going to happen now, you know. But yes, Black Panther but, but and the crew. It, so I, I, saw, I saw a lot of people on social media, like, losing their shit, being like, Marvel should have given this book a chance. And on the one hand, sure. On the other hand, Marvel should have never launched this book. No, absolutely. absolutely. If you look at the first, yeah. like, I, 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 for Hollywood Reporter, I basically did that. Let's say that um, the crew behaves like World of Wakanda does. If it does, with the sale, same sales drop, it will be selling 9,000 copies by issue 6. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Which is just, of course Marvel's going to cancel it. Yeah. Do you know I mean? 9,000 copies? Of course Marvel's going to cancel it. Yeah. Now, there's a lot to be said for Marvel fucking killed the Black Panther franchise by going, it's time for two additional titles mm-hmm. before Black Panther has reached a year. Well, I mean, yes, agreed. I mean, that's, that's a terrible idea. I mean, it's interesting to me because there's all, you hear a lot of different things out in the marketplace. Uh, and there were a lot of people who were like, hey, like, if Ta-Nehisi Coates had done, had, had written better comics, like, those books would not, you know, if nothing else, Black Panther would have kept a hold of its sales, you know, but. Well, yeah, but would it though? Like when you look at all of other all the rest of Marvel sales, would it? I mean, don't get it wrong. Black Panther was never going to hold on to three hundred thousand sales a month. Never. Yeah, right. That like that was a you know that was an astounding sales figure mm-hmm. for that book. Yeah. Um, but I I don't, and I'm not saying this is someone who's like, well, it's the best comic book out there, but I don't think quotes. Like, Coates could have been fucking writing Watchmen, and I think the sales figures would be roughly the same. No. Well, I mean... Yeah, I genuinely do. I, with with the character's popularity, uh, the fact that I think that the 
outside traditional comics audience for Black Panther is going to read the collections and not the single issues. Mm-hmm. And Marvel's general sales figures? Mm-hmm. Sure, I think Black Panther is basically where it would have been no matter what. I, I don't I don't think there's a, a massive audience who would have made, gone, sure, let's keep Black Panther at 70000 a month. No. Uh, I... I mean, I how many Marvel titles are at that? The, well, hardly any, yeah, admittedly, because yeah, people I mean. don't have faith, but not as many get the buy-in that they, that, that Black Panther got, you know? Now, admittedly, some of that may be just massive collectability and then no one stuck around for issue two, but honestly, I think there's a, a bunch of people that were like, if Ta-Nehisi Coates could, was writing like, you know, like Scott Snyder was writing Batman for, for New 52. I think they would have kept a hold of those. I think he could have kept around a hundred thousand or seventy thousand because it, because it would have been, it would have been exceptional enough. Honestly, what he's writing was, you know, I, at least the stuff that I read was, very strongly Hickman derived for, and that's not yeah, a, yeah. that's not a plus for me. I'm not sure that, I'm not sure you could say that like, that should be a big plus for people, but I don't really know if Hickman was drawing crazy ass numbers for anything that he was doing where he wasn't, you know, ending the universe essentially, you know? So, so I don't, I don't know. I just, I think for, I just think that, for example, the Black Panther titles, um, you know, it's hard for me because I think, I think those are the sides where I feel like, I feel like Marvel is trying. Like Marvel was trying to get Black Panther launched as a franchise sort of the same way that Inhumans was, that they're trying to do with Inhumans. But the flip side of it is is they were also really trying to push, make that a pipeline for new talent of color, you know. And, mm-hmm. well, you don't think that, because, I mean, Coates I think, I brought think in Rebecca Gay. And try, I think in, he was trying to make it into a pipeline for new creators of color. Well, Marvel I, clearly I went think, along with that. I mean, sure, but I think they, they went along with it because he's Tanahisi Coates, as opposed to Marvel had any interest in that. Because I think if they did, they would do it on any other title, and it would not involve Tanahisi Coates having to co-write the book. Uh, I think I think they needed Coates on there to co-write the book. But I mean, I don't know. I just read the first issue of America. And that certainly seemed like they were trying to get creators of color and diversity in on their titles. I feel, I feel like Marvel may only be half-hearted, half-hearted committed to it, but they, I feel like they are sort of trying to, to, to do that, even if it's just in a reluctant because they're being pressured to do it, you know. Yeah. I think Will Moss is committed. Mm hmm. Uh, I, I, I honestly like Marvel as a company, Marvel as an entity. Nope. Do but if you look that, at, do you think that Axel Alonso is like a Hispanic uh, person who's an editor in chief of the line? You don't think that he's necessarily committed to it? No, because I think if he was, it would have happened earlier. Uh, I agree with you, actually. So, like Alonso's been there for 
more than a decade now. Mm-hmm. Like Alonso, when given his druthers to bring new talent in, brought in a shit ton of white crime writers. Yeah, that's true. So, no, I don't think it's Alonso. I genuinely think it's Moss driven, A, by his personal taste, and B, by the fact that the audience is literally demanding that Marvel do this now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's like a, you know, oh, you've got to give Marvel credit because they're, you know, they're really into this. No, I don't think Marvel as an entity is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you look at Moss, he's brought in Tanisi Coates, he's brought in, uh, oh, what's the guy who's writing Black Panther? Uh, not Black Panther, Black Bolt. Uh, uh, Saladin Ahmed? Ahmed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he brought in G- uh, Gabby Rivera for America. Mm-hmm. You know, he's making smart hires. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the, I think bringing in Roxanne and, and, uh, uh, Yona Harvey for, for Black Panther books, mm-hmm. um, is, is down to Tanisi Coates. I don't think it's down to, to Marvel. And, and, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like Marvel gave them the gigs, whether or not like they came up with the idea or Tanisi did. Right. But I, I, I wouldn't give, Marvel as an entity the credit for it at all. I totally think it was Tony Easy Coats. And, you know, to sort of double down on that, I think if Marvel was committed, mm-hmm. they would have get, they like, we would have heard an announcement of like a, Yun, a new Yona Harvey book by now. Mm-hmm. Or a new Roxanne Gay book. Mm-hmm. But, but we haven't. Yep. And it'll be really interesting for me. To, uh, one of the things I'm really interested about in Legacy is the creative lineup. Mm-hmm. Because Legacy has been very clearly, uh, you know, uh, positioned as a back to basics. Mm-hmm. But with like a sort of outside their mouth being like, but we're also staying woke, you guys. Um, and the creative lineup is going to be really interesting mm-hmm. to me for that. Because one of the things that was interesting to me about Rebirth was Rebirth basically did the same thing. But when you look at who could give the big names, it was not big name creators. Like Pete Tomasi got the, got Superman. Tom King, who, don't get me wrong, is a rising star, but gets Batman. Steve Orlando gets Justice League of America. Joshua Williamson gets The Flash. You know, and so they're uh, taking uh, calculated risk, sure, but a risk in some of these titles. And if Marvel was dedicated to diversity, you would see, you know, Saladamids getting Captain America. Well, wait, you hold on. See... You, but like, you can't point those guys as people that DC's giving a shot to uh, from diversity. I think. Right? No, I no, mean... I no, I'm no, I'm meaning more in terms of like giving quote unquote unknown or up and coming okay. creators, up and coming books. talent. I see books. Uh-huh. And saying like Marvel is is dedicated to diversity, mm-hmm. then you've got the characters that quote unquote sell themselves. Mm-hmm. Your Iron Man, your Thor, your Captain Americas, right? And you do you follow the rebirth model of oh, give an interesting writer that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you could be like, hey, you know, we like what Gabby Rivera is doing on, uh, on America. Mm-hmm. Why can't she write, you know, Iron Man? Mm-hmm. But everything that's been rumored is the, like it's going to be the same character, the same creators. And when I say the same creators, I mean literally the same creators. Oh yeah, ben is still yeah. going to be an Iron Man. Nick Spencer is still going to be in Captain America. Yeah. Uh, Dan Slott is still going to be in Spider Man. Yeah. 
and it's you know it it could go further i guess oh believe me i think if marvel means it then Mm -hmm. marvel could do things to mean it Oh, I, I personally think that the fact that Marvel is not changing their, I mean, Marvel never turned around and was like, yeah, we're doing rebirth, you guys. I mean, that's very much a move that is very easy to, um, uh, infer, I guess. But, you know, I mean, I think that I don't really necessarily know if I, if I'm a big fan, you know, if the Marvel legacy thing seems very, it doesn't appeal to me. It would appeal to me more if there was going to be a rotation of a lot of those guys off. Yeah, it, it's kind I, of amazing because mm-hmm. you get you get to the point where it's like, wait, what is Marvel Legacy? Mm-hmm. If Marvel Legacy isn't a relaunch of the books, mm-hmm. but just a renumbering to quote unquote the classic numbering, yep. uh, and it's not a creative reshuffle, mm-hmm. then what is it? Yeah, it's it's. It's, it's, it's Marvel being Marvel. It's Marvel being like, hey, we're promising change. Everything's going to be different. And then giving you the same thing in a slightly different wrapper. I just feel that Marvel is like, okay, guys, we're really, we're redoing the shit out of this wrapper. You know, it's like, here's the side character boxes. Here's the legacy number. And we're just, we're going all fucking out. We have even talked about how each character is going to have at least one scene where they look out a window and the reflection is like the classic look of the character and them reflecting on the old <laughs> days, you know? Like, believe me, that's going to happen. No, 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 I, you know? no, I genuinely think that it, they're going to go further than that. I think it's going to be, look, Captain America, he's wearing the classic outfits. Iron Man is wearing the classic outfit, you guys. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's everything you ever wanted. Yeah, but I but which really does I mean apart from the the idea of like trying to you know this actually is a weird thing in a way that circles back to uh, Chris Claremont in a way because you know Claremont by the time he leaves X Men he's been on that title like a crazily long time. You know, it's like 15 years, right? Right. So 15, 17 years. So I think there's a case to be made. Like, I know that what happened was very much like, you know, Claremont was pissed at the amount of changes or the, the fact that he had no, they, he had no say in the plotting and they were giving full plotting over to Jim Lee. I, as I recall, and he got very fed up and was kind of like, Hey man, either that guy goes or I do. And, and, uh, Bob Harris was like, eh, see you later, Chris, you know, and which, which still to this day goes down as like one of the worst editorial decisions. Considering well, but see, it, I, on the one <laughs> hand, I sort of, I, I do agree. And yet part of me is kind of like, but it almost seems like a smart call because I mean, maybe the difference is just in the sales numbers, but part of me is like, you know, I, I read that issue. I think I told you I read, I got three issues thanks to Marvel's like digital bundle pack. And, you know, I read all three and I really ended up enjoying Mockingbird. But like I read that Bendis Iron Man comic and it was the opposite of like, I want to read more of this. You know what I mean? So maybe I'm just mm-hmm. biased, but part of me is just like, 
that guy's been around forever. I, I appreciate that it's loyalty or whatever, or that you're convinced that it's sales or like everyone who shows up at conventions is telling you that this is the guy that you read, you know, but part of me is like, I don't necessarily, I think, I think that they would be well served by rotating some of that talent out. You know, no, like, I, I, I agree. I actually do agree. I think it's time to swap creators out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that doesn't seem to be what they're doing. I mean, we'll see. Marvel still has to announce what's going on. If nothing else, Marvel still has to announce what they're doing with Generations, which is in the next batch of solicits. Wow. <laughs> you know, so to this day, I still don't know what Generations is apart from it's 10 comics. Is that the 10 comics that are sort of the old and new and, yeah. Yeah. Is it generations one through 10? Or is it 10 one shots? Or is it 10 actual series? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Yeah. But that's like, that's in the next batch of solicits. Who knows, Jeff? Hey, Jeff, getting back to uh, something I was saying a a second ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marvel doesn't seem to be doing anything for Kirby's birthday. But DC is. Yes. So DC has now uh, four series based on Kirby concepts mm-hmm. that are debuting this year. And now they've announced six additional one-shots mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for August. As a Kirby fan, especially as a Kirby Fourth World fan, I love this. Yes. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of weird. I'm sorry, what's that? Isn't that also kind of weird? <sighs> you like, know... I, 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 well, okay, you know, so, so. I, I like, like, Mr. Miracle, mm-hmm. beyond excited for. Yes. Beyond excited for. Yeah. Tom King and Mitch are doing Mr. Miracle. Like, it's, it's going to be amazing. It yeah. just is. Yeah. Like, I, I, I cannot express how excited I am for that. Uh, the Bug series is, uh, shall we say flawed fun? Sure, but it's fun. Right? Yeah. Uh, Commandy Challenge mm-hmm. is, again, I would say flawed fun. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredibly throwaway, but it's it's fun enough. New challengers, uh, who knows? But it's Scott Snyder and Andy Kubert, I think. Mm-hmm. It's Scott Snyder and someone. Yeah, uh, but based on challenges, then no one. Snyder is is completely solid, and I'm really curious what he'll do with the, the concept. Mm-hmm. So great, the one shots. We have no idea who the creative teams are. Mm-hmm. At all, or for that matter, even the names of the comics, right. we don't know. Uh, at this point, they literally were like, "Here's six covers, you guys." Right, right. Uh, we're doing one shots. I mean, I, he's probably going to come out like inevitably when this episode is released. There'll be a press release like an hour after we drop it. <laughs> uh, but it seems to be Manhunter. There's a Sandman one. There's a uh, News by Legion versus the Boy Commandos, which is. Either genius or terrible. Right. Uh, there's a New Gods one with a terrible Shane Davis cover. Like, oh, yeah, that cover was terrible, terrible, wasn't it? Oh, my God. Um, and what are the others? I can't even remember what the others are. Uh, you got a lot of them. I uh, I want to say there's maybe just a few oh, there, more. Oh, there's, there's a uh, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, Black Razor, Mr. Miracle, The Losers cover. Oh yeah, right. That looked pretty amazing. Oh, and Chris Burnham on Dark Side, which looks, of course, yeah. gorgeous. Like you know, yeah. Which again, I hope includes Chris Burnham actually trying the comic. Oh, I'm I'm kind of As hoping he's to... writing and drawing the comic. Yeah, I get this. Which would be which would be great, right? Like yeah. if they if they get like a, a Burnham and Dennis Culver mm-hmm. Dark Side comic, sure, 
completely mm. down for that. Mm-hmm. It's and you know if we have if the the uh, cover artists are involved in the comic, like Bruce Tim doing Manhunter, mm-hmm. I am there for. Oh, that'd yeah. be great. Mm-hmm. You know, even Howard Chaykin doing the uh, the News by Legion could be really great. Right. You know, but uh, I also um, part of me is like, they're not going to be doing the inside of the comic. Bill Sienkiewicz, I can't see him doing a one-shot based on Mr. Miracle, the Black Racer, and the Losers. No, I, I can't see him. I see him doing the cover, but you know, it's interesting. He did a he did a he did the inks over Dennis Cohen's pencils for a relatively recent one-shot issue of Deathstroke, so which yeah, looked no, it, beautiful. Yeah. So it's not. It's not entirely impossible, but I think speaking to your larger point, uh, as you, I mean, of course, my heart is broken because DC is has stealth canceled the Commandy Omnibus, so that's kind of a heartbreaker to have that happen. Uh, I guess you didn't see it. I got an email that said like the Commandy Omnibus has been rescheduled for January first, twenty thirty five, and I'm like. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oof, that's a little tough. I take it they're not, you know, I'm assuming they're not going to be breaking out the... um, Although really, like, given DC's collections, fuck knows, like, if that's actually genuine or all of a sudden they're going to be like, and suddenly it's in the December solicits. Well, exactly. Who knows? I, I, I posted on Twitter and people pointed out, like, I think maybe DC had to do a bit of belt tightening recently because the, the, the Silver Age Cave Carson omnibus also got, um, bumped back and the House of Secrets omnibus also, uh, got bumped back. I think it was, I can't remember if it was Mike Meltzer who turned me on to that, but they all have been, you know, DC doesn't like canceling their Omnibuy, but suddenly you'll get the notice if you pre-ordered from Amazon that it's like, oh, publication date has changed for the end of time. Well, I mean, yeah, well, technically the, uh, what was it called? The Showcase Presents Great Disaster Collection? Mm-hmm. Like, was solicited for like four years before it actually came out. Yeah, yeah. And then when it came out, everyone was like, I can't believe this book actually exists. Because it had just, like, it had just been pushed back in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, where they're like, yeah, no, 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 it's coming out on, you know, 2072. Exactly. And you're like, oh, sure. And all of a sudden it comes out and you're like, what? <laughs> this is real? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But I, I think it could also be that uh, DC is changing its its approach to the Kirby collections because you saw that they're doing individual paperback collections of Mister Miracle and New Gods and Forever People this year. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. Well, you know. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, maybe they're. I just kind of felt like they looked at the sales for Commandy Challenge and were like, "Okay, cancel this omnibus." But you know. Cr- DC, sort of the way that in that kind of like we're number two, you know, because we try harder, at least when, when Kirby went back, as you know, and did the superpower series, um, Levitz and Jeanette Kahn went out of their way to give him a cut of merchandising and a bunch of other things. You Wait, know. was that not why superpowers this comic book came about? Uh, were they not basically like playing with the 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 contracts? And it was 
if you redesign the characters and then we use them in a comic, we're going to pretend they're new creations. Something like that. Something like that. I, I, I'm sure it's spelled out in a Tomorrow's book somewhere. But but there was this idea of like, we'll have you draw the characters. We've got the toys coming up. We're using your characters for the toys. You know, and they... Kirby was not treated so great, you know, by DC in the 70s. But the DC of the 80s tried to really tried to make it up to him. It's it sure seems like so. It to me, it's not surprising that Kirby is being treated better by DC because, in a way, there's a little bit of like their fans, um, you know, of of the material that he did. You know, I mean, it really is like Dark Side well, has been d- propping Dio, up. Yeah, Dio is a massive Kirby fan, right? Which like is, yeah. beyond Massey, I think Commandy. I think Commandy might be his favorite comic book character. Mm-hmm. That which totally makes sense. I mean, it totally makes sense in terms of the way that he treats the character and the way the Kirby stuff. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal for DC. Marvel's got very a very different set of things. You know what I mean? In a way, they're like, eh, we, you know. We settled with the Kirby family. This is finally off our back. Whether or not that, you know, they're kind of like, we don't need to, you know, prove anything anymore. So it's like they, they did that one ridiculously oversized, you know, Marvel, a celebration of Jack Kirby, you know, kind of like it's 670 pages of the first 670 pages we could find of Jack Kirby, you know, and I don't, and, and I, I think it, didn't sell very many copies and they're like okay that was that but it's just like it's hilarious remember that uh marvel did the like stanley's been working for marvel for 40 years and we're doing you know 12 one-shot issues right stanley meeting his favorite creators uh, his favorite creations and that you do that and you don't do shit for kirby well, Marvel, I mean, Marvel has always yoked itself to Lee, and then Kirby was not, was never officially treated that way. It was given tons of lip service, but that was almost literally yeah, I know, it. I know, I know. You and know? also, to be fair, that was a different Marvel at this point. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, today's Marvel would not do that for Lee either. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's it's weird when you read stuff about, you know, the, the the dawning of the Marvel Age and DC were kind of the smug guys in suits who were like, we know how this business is run. And just, you know, and then it's things have really flipped in that sense. I'm sure there's tons of crazy fanboys at Marvel who are huge fans of those properties, um, which is which is honestly why we can't seem to get Dan Slott off Spider-Man. We just just can't. God only knows what it will take. And I mean, again, it's not even like he's telling terrible comics, you know, it's like I read that one issue with him and Stuart Eminem and I'm like, okay, you know, hashtag not my Spider-Man, but it was like uh, an engrossing read, I suppose, you know, (laughs) of a spider-like character, you know, it's, it's that, but part of me is just like, come on guys, go do something else, like, Take take the Jack Kirby challenge for Jack Kirby's 100th birthday. Take the Jack Kirby challenge and Brian Bendis, uh, Dan Slott, you know, turn around and take the lowest selling Marvel comic character and commit to doing that title for a year, you know? So, 
I mean, God loved Jason Aaron. He's like, sure, I'll do it. I, I'll do it right now. Yeah, and that's just it. He, it's, he it's would. Okay. Yeah, he uh, would, it, which is great. It, what, what is also funny is part of me was tempted to snark and be like, Bendis is doing Defenders. <laughs> oh, right. He is doing Defenders. Yeah, exactly. That, see, there you go. I mean, but that's, but that's not really true, right? You know what I mean? Like he's doing like, it, yeah, but that's. He's doing, he's doing the Netflix Defenders, aka his favorite characters. His favorite but, characters. Well, and also characters that he inspired the revival of, uh, you know, yeah. a, a serious chunk of those. So. Yeah. No, I, I know. It's, it's just, yeah, that's not going to happen though. You know, mm-hmm. cause, cause Marvel, Marvel will give their quote unquote marquee writers Mm-hmm. The marquee titles. Yeah. That's, that's just what they do. And it's, it's, you're right though, it's a shame. It'd be nice if they, they move people around. It, it would, it would be, we, it would be good to see some new blood in those titles. Right. And for Marvel to be more adventurous with its creative choices, mm-hmm. uh, and accept that, you know, there are characters that are just going to sell a baseline number because of the character, not the creator, and therefore put someone else on the book mm-hmm. and sh- and shift a Bendis or Jason Aaron or a Dan Slott. Well, or, there, uh, that's yeah. that's part of how Todd McFarlane ended up on Spider-Man, I think, wasn't it? it was kind of that idea of back in the 80s or 90s, it was kind of just a given that Spider-Man was going to sell a certain amount of sales, and so... You know, put some of the why, weirder guys why, yeah. on him. You know, why, why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was how X Men worked as well. If you think about the X Men creators that were on it when when they were on it mm-hmm. during the Claremont run, mm-hmm. you know, it would be like this guy's the hot new guy, so put him on this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now you don't get the hot new guy. You get the hot new guy on, you know, some minor Marvel title. I, I see. Even as I'm saying this, part of me is like, well, no, because you get Secret Empire and you get fucking Adrian, what's his name? Adrian, Sorrentino. Sorrentino. And, yeah. and, you know, Sorrentino. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get that, you know, almost a legible issue out of him. So maybe I'm talking out my ass. Well, and you're going to get a, you're going to get another right here, right? Didn't he yeah, replace? He's, he's replaced someone on the book. I do love that Secret Empire has added another issue. I love it. Marvel just, you know, at this point, fucking double size an issue. <laughs> Don't like. Well, it's 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 it came across as a joke. Mm-hmm. The Marvels like for the third year running, mm-hmm. we're adding an additional issue onto our event comic for the third year running. Yeah. And also, it means they now have to get three issues of that out in August, God, which God. just strikes me as unlikely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Even with, you know, 72 artists on this book, just the idea that none of them are going to receive a knock-on effect, it seems really unlikely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it, Marvel literally promised retailers it would be done in August. Mm-hmm. So they've got to get it done in August. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Secret fucking Empire. Are you reading Secret Empire? No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, I think I told you, it's like, I got that one because it was in the Marvel box. I'm like, nah, no, nah, I don't, I mean, no, nah, I don't, I don't really see the need much. I, I, I love that um, Matt and I were both reading it still and we're both like, this is terrible. Yeah. I mean, there is a way that when it sounds as bad as it does, I sort of kind of half wish that I was reading it, but, but I have to say Marvel like, really no, chased me you're, off you're of really, that. You really, you really yeah. don't. It's, yeah. it's terrible in a boring way. Yeah. 
it's not even terrible in an interesting way. It's terrible in a boring way. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing... Even with the... Spoiler! Second Steve Rogers showing up at the last page of issue two. <laughs> there's nothing in there that makes you think, oh, this is this might be surprising. Right. Do you know what I mean? You're like, of course, of course there's a fucking second Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is I... When I first learned about it, I was like, oh, so what they're doing is Steve Rogers, who's the Nazi, is not the real Steve Rogers. And so many people now that it's come out have been like, oh, it's Superman Red and Superman Blue, which is even funnier to me. If that's going to be Marvel's get-out clause, they're both the real Captain America. That's beautiful. That's amazing. (laughs) That's really where they're going. Mm -hmm. And And at first I didn't believe it. And then Rich of Bleeding Cool put it forward, and I was like, well, given that Rich gets all his information straight from Marvel, mm-hmm. like, that's what they're doing. He's mm-hmm. laying the groundwork for that actually being the reveal. Holy shit. Wow. So, yeah, I... Uh, Superman red and Superman blue. So... <laughs> there's a Nazi cap, and there's a good cap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's terrible. I, it's terrible. I love it. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, you know, I, it, like I said, I haven't been reading it. Uh, although, you know, I feel like I had this, I, it's, I get into the store about once a month and I'm hoping that I'll be going on Thursday and I've got a number of, um, comiXology subscriptions that, like I said, yeah. is a good indicator of making sure that they don't make it past their second issue. But uh, but I was kind of like New Comics Day came up and I'm like oh boy what has Comicsology got for me and it was like Cave Carson I'm like that and that's that's it so I think if I if it had been one of those like oh I'm actually in the comic book store uh, yeah you should, probably would have picked it up yeah I would have picked something up because it was that like I can't just leave the store with one week with just one book as it was even with Comicsology I even went and kind of looked at new releases and was like. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't like, I'm not, in, I'm not into this enough to pay $4 for it. And I've got a, I've got enough comics like stockpiled. The, the prices, like, genuinely, the Marvel prices put you off. Yeah. And I say Marvel prices, DC's monthly books are three ninety nine. dollars I was wow. about to say, there was a lot of DC books that I was like, oh, maybe I should try this out. I'm like, oh, I just can't do it for that price. Yeah, that's just it. So, so DC's put its monthly books up to three ninety nine, mm-hmm. And right now there's a, a Teen Titans crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teen Titans, Titans, and Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. And no one seems to have glommed onto this, mm-hmm. but I'm fairly sure it's like the third of the Rebirth crossovers. Because mm-hmm. you had Superman born, and then you just had the button finishing. And I'm fairly sure this one is the third mm-hmm. of those. Fourth. Isn't there also the Justice League Suicide Squad, right? Yeah, but that's I, when I say Rebirth crossovers, what I mean is like ones that tie into the Uber Rebirth storyline. Oh, I see. Got it. Okay. okay, so you have Superman Reborn, which yes. is literally like, you know, what has happened? Why are there? Why were there two Supermen? Right. Like, we will try and solve this mystery, and it ends up with time being rewritten. Yes. And then you get the button, which doesn't rewrite time, but is very much like, who's fucking around with time? Time has been rewritten. Mm-hmm. And the Titans crossover is Deathstroke trying to rewrite time. Mm-hmm. Right? And all three of them are four-issue crossovers. Mm-hmm. And they're all within like a month of each other. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm like, oh, I think, like, I think the Titans one is, is a, uh, is like the next part of this. And I think people just haven't realized because, like, Superman Reborn wasn't sold as, like, it's, the, you know, part of the Rebirth story. Right. But you're also like, what? But it's, like, them explaining what the fuck is going on with Superman. So obviously it's a big deal. And then the button explicitly was sold as, do you remember the Rebirth special? You want to know what's going on with the Watchmen bits? Read this comic. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, kind of a bait and switch, considering how the story went. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't do anything like that for this Teen Titans one. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the same thing. But all of these books are three ninety nine, mm-hmm. and it's like I'm, you know, I'm super curious. I I like Teen Titans a bunch actually, and I like Titans a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but do I like them a, like three ninety nine a bunch? <laughs> right. Like right. it really does make a difference. Two ninety nine. I'm like, sure, it's three dollars, mm-hmm. and there's something about the extra dollar where I'm like. But do I like it that extra dollar amount? Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to, you know, Marvel's launching Secret Empire, and they're like, it's a $5 first issue. Right. And you're like, I mean, literally, I was like, I'm buying it for work, but, you know, it's I know it's not worth $5. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah it's, no, it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a sad thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, at least for myself, I would like to think maybe at some point I'll get kind of readjusted to that but it also did have a little bit of i've got issues you know sort of stockpiled i've got marvel unlimited i've got comiXology unlimited so it's like there's a lot there's a lot available to me you know so it was kind of like yeah the the need to buy something just to buy something it's like i really was like it's not like i don't have enough exactly i have things to read yeah Exactly. Yeah. It's funny. I was, I, so I, you know this, but our listeners don't know this. Um, I have had my mother-in-law staying with me for the last week and a bit. Um, and because of that, obviously I've been entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I. You're always entertaining, Graham. Thank you, Jeff. But, uh, punchline being, I didn't have time to read anything. Oh, interesting. And, okay. And then, uh, she left yesterday as we record. And, and last night, like, I just was like, I've got a pile of comics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just reading them, <laughs> which was great. And it, but it really was like stuff that has just slipped through the cracks. So like, it's the first two issues of Exo Man of War. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the first two issues of Sovereigns, mm-hmm. which is Dynamite's latest attempt to try and make Gold Key happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a bunch of things like that where, there's nothing to make me go, oh, I have to read this right now. Mm-hmm. Either in terms of like my excitement about the book or like I might be writing about this for work. Mm-hmm. But it's stuff that I've been mailed or I have for some reason or another. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I, I, I should read this. I might enjoy this. But it was kind of great just to sit down with that pile and be like, yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Big pile of comics! Yeah, yes. I know, I know what you mean. Interestingly enough, I mean, I was not entertaining your mother-in-law. Um, and I can't even tell you how grateful I am for that. But, uh, but I also, I had a minor, minor surgical procedure and there was just a lot going on. So I didn't, I, it really and, and, was. And you and me were talking about that when we're stopping recording, Jeff Lester. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, Jeff had a minor surgical procedure this week. 
Jeff and I obviously talked last week because we recorded a Baxter building. Jeff and I emailed after that separate part. Jeff didn't reveal he had a minor surgical thing until the day before the fucking surgery. Well, because it was, and only because Matt Not was no, like, uh, let's do that spawn yeah, exactly. round table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you and me are talking after you. Listen, we're talking about this afterwards. <laughs> anyway, so you haven't read comics yourself? Uh, I've, I've read a few, but not as much as I, as I would have liked, I guess, is what I'm saying. Is I, I managed to sit down and finally, like, tear through some stuff today and, and if, and like, maybe one of the past several nights. And it was kind of, kind of a shame. I'm like, I am eager to sit down and kind of dig into this stuff, you know? So. It's, it's so much fun when you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, really, it's fun to just sit down and be like, I actually have no other agenda other than just reading shit for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's And I, I don't, like, I, I don't know about your, your, you know, how busy you are, your general agenda, but I, that's really increasingly rare these days for me. You know, yeah. Like, like all I'm planning to do for the next couple of hours is read shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while like I read a lot of shit, but I read a lot of shit for work, or I read a lot of shit because I have to read, you know, X for this reason, right? As opposed, to, I'm reading this for fun. Like that just gets smaller and smaller, mm-hmm. and so the, the ability to just sit down and read stuff for fun mm-hmm. is when it happens. I'm really like, oh, this is great, right? Why do I read for fun more often? <laughs> well, why, why do? Do more people read for fun? They should know about this. Reading yeah. for fun is really great. It's fun, you guys. <laughs> Reading for fun is fun. That's the that's really got to be the marketing thing. We got to get out there. You know, the, the, for me, the other part that's hard is is just sort of the quote unquote return of of peak TV for us. So it's kind of the fourth season, uh, fourth series of uh, Line of Duty hit Hulu this week. Uh, so we had to watch that, even though we're like, oh God, oh, this show. But, you know, before that, it was kind of like, oh, we're making our way through Silicon Valley and, you know, Veep is back and we're going to Twin Peaks starts tomorrow night. And I can't even tell you how crazed I am about that. You know, but- oh, I'm, I'm, I, today I was like, I don't have showtime. Like, I have, I'm not going to buy showtime. I'm not going to buy any of these, like, you know, sign up through YouTube to watch live TV. But if they're like, if Amazon or, or Apple are selling individual Twin Peaks episodes, oh. like I'm, I'm going to be wrecked. Like I'm really sad that nowhere's selling individual American Gods right now. Uh, right. Oh, interesting. Cause I'd, yeah. love, I'd love to see American Gods. Yeah. But there's nothing, like there's no legal way for me to do it short of actually getting a cable TV subscription. Well, it depends. I mean, you can get a subscription to Stars through Sure, but again, I'm I'm not going to do that. Like I'm not going to take that step. That for okay. me is like getting a cable TV subscription. Well, uh, to like, me, buy, I would buy the individual episodes, sure, but I'm not going to buy a subscription to a fucking channel for it. The same with Twin Peaks. I'm not going to pay extra for Hulu to get Hulu and Showtime. Uh, but like three dollars an episode or something. Well, see, whereas I'm like, to me, because getting cable used to mean like you couldn't get out of that deal for thirty or forty dollars a month. You know what I mean? So once we were able to get HBO for fifteen dollars a month, I'm okay with that. I have no problem being the yeah nine ninety nine for for Showtime 
you know, tacked on through Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever, you know, wherever I'm going to have it. I think we have it through Hulu. I'm like, that's fine with me. Because back in the old days, it would have been like 40 bucks. So I kind of get what you're saying, Graham, but part of me is like, come on, man, it's $10 a month. Like, no, no. Like you, you know me. I'm like weirdly cheap. I'm no, going to say weirdly cheap. I mean, not just cheap, but cheap in the weirdest ways. <laughs> I, I do know. I do know, and I totally understand that, and and I get it. But part of me is also like, if you're willing to pay three dollars an episode, and it's three dollars oh, like, a month. No, but that's just like, like, like I would possibly be saving money by subscribing the the channel, and I'm still not gonna do it. I, I can't explain it. Yeah, I I get it, and other people are like it, and I'm just like, it's just weird. I actually had this weird, uh, kind of someone was complaining about their inability to watch some something. I, I don't remember if it was like HBO or some deal and I was like you can get a subscription for that through your computer and they're like no no it's not possible and on the one hand it's that weird like I was kind of you know sort of dropping in on their mentions like there it's some it's somebody that I follow that I don't know at all and they don't follow me and it was just they they tweeted this and I'm like oh you can do this thing and they tweeted back and and at least for me, over time, as it went on, I was like, oh, I see. You just want an excuse to be able to feel justified pirating it. And that is well, that, that's, that's their that's thing. Just I know like, that's I, not I, where I, you're going with this. Yeah, but there is like I, I also like can't bring myself to pirate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and a large part of that is also that just seems like too much work. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, like not only the the moral high crowds, it's also just like pirating. Like if someone put the whole thing up on fucking YouTube, I'd probably watch it. Sure, but anything that involves me doing more work than that, no. <laughs> well, there you have it, Graham. I, I am the worst. <laughs> I am worst. You're you're not you're not the worst. You're not the worst. You're near the worst. But you're not like the worst. I, I am. I am close to the worst. <laughs> like just like close to the edit. I'm close to the worst. Close to the edit. But the, exactly. other, but the other thing is, like, I. I mean, I genuinely do want to see American Gods. I genuinely do want to see Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also fine waiting until they do show up on Netflix or whatever. Because, well, like, like you said, it's like the return of peak TV, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Like, there's more than enough stuff for me to watch right now. Yeah. That I can watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's with the exception of, I mean, Twin Peaks on Twitter is going to be the most insufferable fucking thing ever. Oh, yeah. Ever. Even for people who are watching it, it's going to be the most insufferable thing ever. It kind of already is the most insufferable thing yeah, ever. Yeah, as soon as it starts, mm-hmm. you're literally going to have people be like, oh, my God, I saw a tree. Does that tree mean blah, blah, blah? And you'll be like, fuck <laughs> Fuck this shit. <laughs> or people, you know, or, or the opposite. You know, mm. people being like, shut up about the tree. Right. Like, it's, just, it's going to be <laughs> staggeringly insufferable. Everything will be spoiled on it. Uh, and also, like, t- the return of Twin Peaks, at least for the first week, is going to fuel the hot takes industry. Oh, God. In a way that even Donald Trump will back away and be like, this is amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, I, I, 
you know, in in the run up to this, someone I think Ragnell on Twitter a few weeks ago mentioned uh, she was really kind of looking forward to seeing this return in the sense that Twin Peaks is a was probably the only big kind of geek property that is super frustrating. You know, uh, if I, I think, I think her, this is the sad part where it's like my poor memory's kicking in. I don't, I don't think I followed through on the rest of her thread, but some of the other stuff I think you might have seen. There was a, a, a piece by, uh, Matt Zoller Seltz making the rounds, um, I think maybe through, uh, Entertainment Weekly that's kind of like, hey, here's some things that people should remember about Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah, is, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's on Vulture, maybe. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. It is Vulture. And it's, it's like 13 things that people would do well to remember. And, and, and it basically was like, you guys, Twin Peaks isn't the show you remember. Right. Which is really funny because, of course, I was reading it and I'm like, mm, you're wrong, motherfucker. I mean, he's right overall, generally, especially when he's like, everyone's getting all like, you know, they, they're tuning in, wanting to see the, the memes and the, you know, the shots of apple pie and things like that. But it's, you know, the, the reason why I'm so excited by this is, is I, I'm like, wow, 18 hours of, of David Lynch. Like, he's doing it all. He's got the other characters. It, it, it probably, it's good to me. I'm just like, that is something that I'm very happy about. It is gonna f- fuck me up pretty badly. I don't doubt, but that's, that's kind of what I'm signing up for, you know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, anxious about it. I get it. Cause I remember you I, saying I, I like a year the ago. Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved the show and I hated the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Fire walk with me was pretty was pretty rough. But that I'm, said, like, I'm so worried that it's going to just be the show. There's going to just be the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll be, I'll be curious. Cause for me, I, this, this is where things split for me. So I'm not a big fan of, of fire walk with me. I'm not really a big fan of wild at heart either, but you know, Lynch from, and I'm not sure how I feel about, Lost Highway, either. Frankly, I run hot and cold on it because there's. You're going to end the sentence by being like, "I've just realized I don't like David Lynch at all." I don't like him at all. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 no. Because I really, I, I adored, I adored Inland Empire. You know, which is one of those like seems a little divisive, even in among the Lynch followers, I suppose, for whom like Mulholland Drive was like a walk in the park. But um, what was what was the one about the guy and the lawnmower? Straight story. Yes. That, like, if, if, if Twin Peaks new season is just the straight right. story. Yeah. For 18 hours, that would be hilarious. Cause here's the thing. I would not be surprised if Lynch is not going to, tr- like, actively troll the fans. But Lynch is going to do Lynch. And that might end up being, like, entirely contrary to what people are expecting. Well, but one of the things that's great is, is that I remember that season, the opener, of the second season of Twin Peaks was him trolling the fans really deliberately in a way that was amazing. But that whole thing where like, you know, Cooper gets shot at the end of season one and then season two is that amazingly long sequence with the old waiter shambling around. Like 
the, the stuff that was happening in the final episode, the season finale, crazy amounts of oh, which, trolling. Yeah, which, yes, which really was. But also, like, the creepiest fucking shit in the world. Well, some of, some of it was... I've talked yeah. about, but you and I have talked about this before. Like, yeah. that's that's the TV show that I think is haunted and cannot watch. Yeah. Yeah, that no. Mm-hmm. That episode is. Mm-hmm. And not watch it. And yeah. again, if the new show is just that, yeah, I good luck, everyone. I'm not going to make it past episode one. No, I I totally get it. I, I do totally get it. Whereas for me, it's that weird, like, that last episode of Twin Peaks is is something that I have literally managed to have nightmares about. Not frequently, but over the course of decades, every once in a while, it'll still pop up in one of my dreams where it just, it scarred me that deeply. And I really kind of have an appreciation of that. I really do with Lynch. The shit that he does, like the stuff in Inland Empire, oh man, there was stuff where I was just getting so uncomfortable. There's a lot, see, this is the thing that drives me crazy is some of the stuff with, with Celts, is he had some really good points and I think worth pointing out, but he still sort of falls into that take of, cause I, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in the second season. I don't think that it's, it's kind of outweighed by the bad stuff, but there's stuff in there that is kind of beautiful. And you know, the, yeah, but I, th- I think you have to fight to find it. The second season mm. just, just second season is just ultimately sloppy. Oh, it's sloppy. It's really but sloppy. Like, but like, yeah. it's sloppy in a way that the first season was. Because the first season's also sloppy, but it's sloppy in an interesting manner. And the second season is repeatedly sloppy and boring. Uh, yeah, it's boring for huge long stretches. But some of the stuff in it, like I remember the stuff with the magician's uh, child, you know, that's played by Lynch's son. Uh, popping up in that dream sequence, uh, I say dream sequence, but that, you know, Donna encounters, um, when she's doing the Meals on Wheels and him holding the hands of cream corn, uh, you know, there's just a lot of, um, the, actually, I think, you know, there, there was, I, the thing that I thought was kind of interesting with Twin Peaks was, they really wanted to do that thing of making all the bad people evil and all the good, all all the bad people good and the good people evil. Like there was a lot of reversals with them. And there are, there are some sequences that pay off surprisingly well. When you see that, for example, Bobby Briggs's dad, who I'm sure is not coming back in this series, you know, who's basically shown as being kind of a, an abusive dad in the first season, which of course, Bobby Briggs coming across as such a, a psychopath in the first season. And then in the second, you know, you kind of get this idea of like, oh, but his dad's even worse. And then you get into the, just that whole strange realm where his dad, th- there's a scene between the two of them where the dad talks about how much he he loves his son. And it comes really late in the season. Or the the sequence where Donna talks about swimming at night with uh, skinny dipping with someone. I don't remember even remember who it was, but it's a it's like a surprisingly great scene. I guess what I'm willing to say is is Lynch is one of those guys that I'm willing to put up with a, a significant amount of shit for the good stuff. And as you know, you and I, um, I tend to I tend to like it a little darker and a little bleaker 
you know mm-hmm. one of the things that struck me i remember uh, with the twin peaks thing is is kind of your whole like um you know you saying like i kind of hope that they get rid of the whole like cooper's bob thing in like the first five minutes you know it was like oh remember when that thing happened and then you guys got me exercised <laughs> time for pie you know kind of thing which i thought would be again would be wonderful level of like trolling you yes know, but. I, th- I think as, as like a uh just a way to completely fuck with expectations that's beautiful but it's not going to be like you know that that's going oh, to oh after you look the, at those the, trailers i mean that's the thing that i thought I, was I, interesting. I actually purposely haven't watched the trailers well what's great is is lynch is not a fan of trailers so the the one that i saw is just a variety of isolated practically isolated shots it's a variety of of different characters but like i think like the only one of the few people you actually hear speak is like david lynch and maybe natalie dormer's character which i didn't even oh, know wait, she was in it i wait, i think i have seen that it's the one where yeah uh, david lynch like looks sort of shocked to something's happening off panel yeah and is like gordon you know yeah, and they yeah. right you know there's that and natalie dormer like on the phone and the shot of the bang bang club you see dale cooper just driving that car like expressionless and it's and that's, I think it's no surprise that all of a sudden everyone, after they saw that trailer, was like, okay, everyone remember, like, everyone just suddenly went from, like, first season of Twin Peaks, everyone turned the dial over to, like, fuck, Firewalk With Me. Guys, I have to admit, I didn't like Firewalk With Me. I don't know if I could put up with another Firewalk With Me. And then you watch the trailer again, and it's just like, it it all but has elements of, like, oh, perfect, Human exploitation in natural Pacific Northwest settings. Delightful. You know, it's... This is what we want. Exactly. Exactly. Um, You know, we'll really see where that shit goes. It, it, I think it would not surprise me if, if by the second or third week of Twin Peaks, everyone's like like every the majority of people are like i do not want this you know Um, (laughs) i thought i wanted this yeah but having now got it right i don't want this actually goes back to uh we were talking about legion the other week Mm -hmm. that's kind of what i hope for legion season two Mm -hmm. they're like week three everyone's like oh this isn't the show i wanted it to be um sure i'm gonna go and watch you know whatever Mm -hmm. that fucking seth MacFarlane star trek show or whatever yeah well or the brian singer x-men show whatever the hell that thing what is it called the gifted is what it's called gifted yeah uh that's pretty funny you know i mean it it could happen well because there is that thing frankly there's stuff that is that is shockingly new and everyone's super excited by it in the first season. And then the second season people come around and they've cooled on it significantly. I feel that's the curse of a lot of superhero and science fiction shows. First season, shit hot. Second season, they're like, eh, uh, like that sleepy hollow show, which, or, you know, for example, you know, like, I, I like, Sleepy Hollow is, I think, one of these rare occasions where, like, a show goes all, like, massively viral and everyone's like, it's so wacky! And 
I am the I am the I am the person going. No, it's just bad. It's just bad. Well, and people people did kind of catch on eventually, but you know, I didn't I didn't no, I, watch. I it remember cause... I remember people losing their minds, going, "This is a camp classic," and me being like, "But I like camp. Why do I think this is shit?" <laughs> like I I I can't God I can't remember who I did a review for. Mm-hmm. I did a review of like the first season for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, this is just a bad show, you guys. Mm-hmm. Like, based on, like, the first two episodes of it, I was like, this is just, it's not good. It's it's just a bad show. And then, like, maybe a week after that came out, everyone was like, this is the campiest shit ever. You've got to get on it. And I was yeah. like, am I just old now and I don't get camp? Like, what what happened? Yeah. No, it's weird. Like, the it's it's just, you know, they they can't all be... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know? I mean, the thing that's crazy is is that the show that seems to have never been, like, a huge hit in the first season and therefore didn't, you know, turn into a hot pile of garbage, at least ratings-wise, in the second season, is something like Supernatural, which is amazing to me season that that's 13. still on the air. Season 13! 13! That's, that's a- yeah, it really is. It's I that is what, what I also like about Supernatural is it's going in season thirteen, and I feel that by the time you are genuinely going late, let's commit to the thirteenth year. At some point, you, everyone is like, "We're literally just doing this for the money now." I I don't know. I I I mean, I haven't I haven't watched it. Maybe maybe they figured out my, stuff. I mean, my it's... trainer is mm-hmm. a big Supernatural fan. Uh huh. I like a really like massive supernatural fan and for the last like two years has just been bitching about how terrible the show is yeah yeah but as one of those people is like no you don't understand i love the show i have paid money to like meet the stars right like wow like i'm a really hardcore fan of the show and now it's literally just like no the show is unwatchable shit oh that's so sad i mean i it's it was never it's like it was never good yeah, see, I mean, that's my thing. Maybe it was. It certainly, it certainly knew how to service its fans, and it knew what it was doing. But it, according, yeah, to, exactly. According to this this person, mm-hmm. uh, it stopped that um, when the original showrunner stepped down. Oh, and see, it's gradually got worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that is kind of a hard transition. So. Graham McMillan, should we talk a little bit about the comics that we have read that we finally got around to reading that we're like, oh, thank God, the sweet joy that is comics or what? Do we have sweet joy that is comics? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to uh, not recommend something to you as much as ask if you've read it. Have okay. you been reading the new EXO series, the new EXO Minor War series from Valiant? I have not. I would be very curious for you to read it and tell me what you think. Hmm. Okay. Because... You've read Exo before, or at least you're aware of the concept, mm-hmm. which is essentially, it's Conan the Barbarian, but he's Iron Man. Right. So the new series is, it's Conan the Barbarian, but he's Iron Man, and also, he's in a heavy metal comic, and it's in space. <laughs> it sounds like, it why am I not is, reading that right now? You know? That's what I was going to say. The strange thing is, it really works. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's a great comic, mm-hmm. although the art is worth the price of admission by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful looking comic. It's, oh God, what's the artist's name? Says he as he reaches over to find the comic. Uh, Thomas Girello or Girello oh. is the artist. Um, 
but it's a beautiful looking comic. Uh, Matt Kint is a writer. It's slow moving and as with lots of Matt Kint stuff for Valiant, uh, alternating between far too slow moving and then moments of like breathtaking lack of subtlety. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works. Like it's, it's, it's doing everything it says on the tin. Mm-hmm. And like, Oh, I guess like doing the heavy metal take on it was the way you should always have gone with this comic. Hmm. <laughs> like this, this kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, and it, it's, you know, it's not a reboot. It's literally like everything that you saw in the last series happened. This happens a year later when he's gone in space and just gotten really fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but it's like, I, it, like I actually read it and was like, I think Jeff would really like this comic. <laughs> it, it, I, I think it's, I think it's out for when it's collected. I think like when the first four issues get collected, there'll be enough of a chunk for you to be like, yes, or... Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. How many issues it, are out? Is it only just the first or second two, issue? It's only, yeah, it's only two issues right now. Uh-huh. Um, what is... What, the, one of the things I kept thinking was this feels like a more mainstream take on Brandon Graham's profit. Well, when you said that, it was like, it's, that's exactly what I was thinking of, of course, so. Yeah. Huh. huh. Well, uh, well, I have to say, I am, I'm, in, color me intrigued, Graham, color me intrigued. Uh, so yeah, that, that was, that was an enjoyable read. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really was going through like lots of Valiant stuff that they sent me that I had not had a chance to read. Immortal Brothers, The Tale of the Green Knight is Fred Van Lente and Carrie Nord doing, um, the, uh, King Arthur myth mm-hmm. as recreated by, uh, with Eternal Warrior, Archer, uh, Armstrong and Archer and Armstrong and Ivar Timeworker. Mm. And is just wonderfully uh, irreverent to the original story, to the point where they go, "Oh, Morgan Le Fay is the good guy after all," and the lady in the lake is actually a Lovecraftian monster. So there is a reveal at the end where, like, Steve Hand holding holding Excalibur, uh-huh. and then the rest of the monster comes up, and it's literally like this massive alien monster with a hand at the end. That is really hilarious. <laughs> Which is really great. Um, and it's again, a lot of fun. Uh, Generation Zero is Fred Van Lente again, and is, uh, it, it's the last four, I read the last four issues, and you can kind of tell why it's the last four issues. It's just a book that never came together at all. Mm-hmm. Never, never quite worked, uh, in any way. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame. Uh, it, 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 it was clearly meant to be like, you know, we're trying to do a, a, a new take on like the X-Men mythos that kind of ties in with Harbinger, but kind of doesn't. Mm-hmm. And what makes as much sense as that description does, mm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, Sword Quest issue zero is oh, the right. Chris yeah. Sims, Chad Bowers, Ghostwriter X. Mm-hmm. Who is really, he, I can't remember his real name, but he's the artist who did Downset Fight with them at Oni. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really surprisingly good. Hmm. And I say that as someone who has no background with Atari at all. Mm-hmm. And thinks things like, like Sims and, and Bowers X-Men 92 was like weirdly gimmicky. Mm-hmm. 
and I was a bit too reliant on the gimmick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quest Issue Zero was pretty good, and and for twenty five cents, you know, it was great. Hmm. It was a great little introduction to the series, mm-hmm. um, in large part because it kind of takes the uh, the fraction aha um, Hawkeye aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And then transforms it into there's this guy who has a terminal disease and is still obsessed with Sword Quest from Atari when he was a kid and decides, fuck it, I'm just going to break into Atari's headquarters and steal the sword. <laughs> dying. So why doesn't he? Right. You know, and you're like, sure. That, mm-hmm. That's actually like, that's a fun hook. <laughs> um, but it's, it's the execution is, is, is fun despite the fact that like, there's this guy who's a terminal disease. It's not a fun concept, right? Um, but but you know, again, they they the, at least the first issue completely works, mm-hmm. and it, and it's a nice setup. It could go massively off the rails from now on. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere that I'm not sure where the rails are anymore. Mm-hmm. Paul Cornell and Jimmy Broxon's Vampirella series hmm. is insane. In, like, insane, Jeff. Hmm. In every respect. Hmm. Every single fucking respect. Mm-hmm. Um, Vampirella wakes up in a future world which has become taken over by corporate overlords who have reduced everything to the spectacle and the police are clowns, but everyone thinks the clowns are funny. So they don't mind that, like, there's massive priest brutality. Everything is so reduced to spectacle that, like, everyone is wearing, like, strap-on dildos or sex toys, which are censored in the art with censored bars. All swearing is censored out in the dialogue with black bars. But it's, like, Vampirella is, there's a, like, someone attempts to rape her in the first issue. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so, also... Every page has a line of dialogue at the bottom of the page outside of the rest of the art, which is Vampirella's thoughts on what is happening on that page. Mm-hmm. Like, everything about this comic is nuts. Yeah, that Absolutely. sounds insane. Um, and I'm, like, I don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. It seems to be based on, cause I, so I read issue zero, issue one, and issue two. Mm-hmm. Seems to be based upon what happens in issue two that the devil or someone pretending to be the devil has taken the place of God? <laughs> Maybe? Like, it's it's remarkably unclear. Wow. Uh, and Vampirella... Oh, everyone thinks the vampires aren't really real, and so she's like, I'm Vampirella, and everyone's like, that's great. Why are you wearing clothes? Like, why don't you have your tits hanging out? Let's rape you. And then she, like, goes, no, I'm actually a vampire, you guys. I'll kill you and eat you. And they're like, holy shit, vampires are real. And she actually says, like, my name should have been a giveaway. And they're like, yeah, but it's your name. Like, everyone dresses up for the spectacle. Like, we just thought you were making the name up. Like, it's the weirdest fucking comic, Jeff. Wow. Wow. That is... It's staggering. And part of me is like, I'm glad I'm getting this for free because I don't think I'd spend money on it. But this is a surreal experience. Right. Exactly. This is a surreal reading experience. Jesus Christ. It's it's absolutely nuts. Uh, uh, But also, like, Paul Cornell is writing in, like, I am the most woke writer you can imagine thing. Mm -hmm. It's the point where, at one point, Vampirella 
talks about how there are no black characters in the book. And then her inner narration is like, I say that as a very white vampire myself. Wow. It's nuts, Jeff. Wow. Like, I weirdly, I recommend it to you because I think it's the right level of nuts where you'll be like, this isn't good, but it's weird in all the right ways. Yeah, no, I have to say, I, I find myself alternately drawn and repelled, believe me. So, it's like... Uh, the Sovereigns is the dynamite, like, as I said, you know, the, their latest attempt to try and do something with the Goki characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's utterly sabotaged by the fact that they have uh, Johnny, what is his name? Johnny Deschardin doing the art, a.k.a. what if David Finch had all of his tics, but less idea of what the human anatomy was like. <laughs> uh, which is a shame because the, there's something to the story that could be interesting, mm. but that art is is a fucking killer. Is a fucking killer. Also, they have one of the worst lettering choices I've seen in the longest time, mm. which is uh, solar sentient of the atom, now gender neutral, um, speaks in rainbow dialogue, which would be fine if all of it were legible. Oh, Jesus. But some of it literally isn't mm-hmm. because the, the color is so light against the page. Mm-hmm. Like, you're squinting at it going, yeah, I, I genuinely can't read all of this dialogue, you guys. That's a bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, issue 0 and Issue 1 both have backups uh, for the new version of Magnus, which is great. Hmm. It, it's really interesting. It's Magnus, instead of Magnus Robot Puncher or whatever Magnus was called, Robot Fighter, maybe? Robot Fighter, yeah. Uh, it's now Magnus Robot's uh, Psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's it's Magnus Robot Psychiatrist when robots are actually slaves. Uh, and so you get Magnus being like, okay, like, like I am a human, you guys are human, I'll like get your robot working again. Like, I'll talk to your robot and get the robot working. And then they'll be like, yeah, but we're going to like mistreat this robot to shit because this robot isn't really a person. Mm-hmm. And then Magnus, who is now a woman, is like, yeah, but like the robot can think for itself and feel so don't be a dick and they're like fuck you and that's what magnus is now <laughs> like this amazingly dark thing wow huh. uh which is which is great like super interesting i i, I genuinely dig it mm-hmm. uh much less digging and i'm going to shut up now after saying this my uh, the greatest adventure bill williams i've got all the edgar rice burroughs characters and i'm gonna put them all together Mm-hmm. Uh, I was betrayed by this book, Jeff, because wow. it is carrying art, painting covers, mm-hmm. and they're fucking gorgeous. Like, they're fucking gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And the comic is shit. Mm. But you re-see the covers and you're like, oh man, look at the, oh, this, this is going to be amazing. And then you open it and you're like, oh no, it's not. No. <laughs> that, that's a shame. Anyway, you tell me comics you've read, Jeff. I will tell you some comics. It's, it's not, uh, there's some there's some weird stuff on it, and then there's a lot of the usual suspects. I'm still making my way through the um, digital um, Jim Mappero Legends of the Dark Knight, which is just the, the stealth Brave and the Bold collections. So, A.K.A. greatness. Exactly. So I got to reread stuff that I already have read and adore, but still adore. Like, there's that that 
like I just today read um, a few issues, one of which was is that amazing Batman and Wildcat and the Joker where the Joker is like infected an entire, um, you know, it, start, it starts off with like Ted Grant going in to do a prison exhibition and he's having a punch out with this uh, Joe Dubeck who's like a henchman for the Joker who they're trying to sweat him in solitary and get him to, to tell what the Joker's plans are. And, you know, they're commissioner Gordon and Batman are like, yeah, this is our chance. But of course the, you know, we just intercepted a letter that Dobek, Chobek, uh, smuggled out to the Joker saying that he's, you know, about to crack. And of course what happens is the Joker manages to get someone smuggled in on Ted Grant's, uh, boxing team who like, swaps a, a boxer's pail with it so that Dubeck, who's becomes part of the exhibition match, which Batman and Commissioner Gordon don't find out till later, he and all the convicts get poisoned with this rare, lethal, uh, fatal disease that's, you know, that they're like, okay, we've got to get the antidote. The the antidote is like there's one dog that has developed enough antibodies. We we can get the Bob blood Haney, there. You beautiful bastard. He is so good. So of course they're like in the armored car transporting the dog to the prison, and then the Joker manages to like in you know pump the la- his Joker gas into the the armored car. So it gets out of control, and the dog gets free, and it's this insane like. A black comic screwball comedy with like Batman and the Joker and Wildcat all chasing around the city looking for the dog Spot, you know, who encounters various different people. And it's just, it's fucking awesome, you know. And that's followed just like an issue or two later where it's Haney and Apero doing Batman and Commandy, where Commandy, you know, where it's Batman is Captain Bat. Like the 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 oh I remember that one that one's great it was amazing and it's got it's got like the fucking you know um, Mount Rushmore and like they're trying to get these refugees out and meanwhile there's like the Bear Rangers that worship Mount Rushmore and the gorillas who of course are basically mercenaries who just can't wait to capture the humans and bring them back and of course Batman because of his costume they believe that he's an animal hybrid and it's fucking great it really is like i'm like man it's interesting watching haney because there's an earlier uh issue where uh of brave and the bold where batman and mr miracle you know quote unquote team up i i I remember and for me it's interesting the ways in which haney sort of gets mr miracle sort of right and wrong you know, like he gets some of the mm-hmm. basics right, but he more or less misses a lot of the tone. But his commandy, perhaps unsurprisingly, he's like, "Oh, I get this concept, and I know how, I, I totally know how to make it work." It's interesting because Apero's work is so unkirbyish that it's kind mm-hmm. of, but it's, but it's also it's great. Like if you like commandy, it's just so good. So, yeah, that stuff is terrific, and some of the other, you know, like. There's a whole Sergeant Rock issue that's that again is just lunacy. Is um, the Sergeant Rock issue the one where Jim Aparo appears? No, that's coming up. the The one where Jim Aparo appears is the best. No, this is like, and honestly, the earlier 
Sergeant Rock one where Batman sells his soul to the devil and it yes. turns out to be Hitler is fucking amazing. So, no, this is probably the most mundane of the Rock stories where – What's really great is like people who have never read these stories right. are just going to hear these descriptions and be like, wait, Batman sold his soul, first of all, to the devil. Second of all, and it turned out to be Hitler, third of all. Yeah, right? I, don't I know. Say is, yes, that's what these comics are like. Yeah. Yeah, they are so amazing. Oh, there's so much of just astonishing stuff. So this is probably the most sedate one where Rock had, is haunted over the memory of, um, he, like, basically there's, there was only, officially there's only one, one person on the U.S. side that was ever executed for cowardice during World War II, but there's technically two. And it's this dude who was assigned to Easy Company that, through his cowardice, like Easy Company got ambushed and almost killed. And so Rock reports him and is ordered to execute him. And he's like, what? But he does. He kills, you know, he, they put him up in a firing squad. Uh, and then it's decades later. Rock and Easy Company are more or less touring through Europe. They're more or less recruiter types. And Rock sees the man that he killed. And he's convinced that he's still alive. But of course, everyone's like, he's losing his mind, you know, and Batman's like, poor Rock, you know, Rock has finally broken, you know, that kind of thing, yeah. you know, but then they're chasing him and it's, you know, but meanwhile, they see like Rock's fighting with some mysterious figure and it ends up with them. They literally end up breaking into East Germany and out of East Germany. And Batman on a motorcycle, like jumps the barbed wire straight, you know, like Steve McQueen out of the great escape. It's, it's all that stuff. It's, and and yet it's still maybe only like the fourth or fifth best Sergeant Rock brave in the bold, you know? So, <laughs> uh, the interviews with monster girls, which I've talked about. It was great. I actually picked up the, I, I realized I was, I thought I was caught up except for the most current volume, but no. Uh, so I went back and finished the volume that I read, which was just the end of volume two. Uh, it's for people who like this kind of thing. I, it's, it's surprisingly good light. Um, you know, uh, I don't know what you would call it. Like sort of, it's not romantic comedy, but I mean, you know, it's, I, if people remember, it's like, there's a teacher who teaches at a school at which there are four demi-human characters, a vampire girl, a succubus gym teacher, a, an, a, <laughs> an, a snow woman who student and a Duran who's like a student who literally carries her own, uh, uh carries her own head in her arms is not it, their head is not connected to her body and the characterization as he interviews these characters because he's a biology teacher and the sort of world building and sort of soft science hard science of how those characters work in the real world um is really just so good it's amazing to have a, a trifle where the person has put a lot of thought into it and um I'm just so grateful that I got turned on to this by a listener of the podcast who I've thanked before, and I'm too goddamn uh, lazy to look up their name. Uh, Nam Wolf, have you heard of it? Um, that was something. Nam Wolf. Nam Wolf. No. Yeah, it's about a soldier in Vietnam who's a werewolf. So, <laughs> oh my god, that's that's simultaneously 
a great high concept. Yeah. And part of me is like, I feel that that's almost too lazy a high concept. Just like, it's a thing, you know, with a werewolf. And yet, no, it totally seems great. Right. So it's... It's it's really interesting because the story is more or less told kind of straight and pretty cliched. The art on Nam Wolf is uh, I should have I should have written down the name of the creator and now it's going to be me dragging things out while I look for the title. Uh, it, it is very much it's like the art reminds me a lot of Kyle Starks. Like it's very cartoony. Um, and but also with kind of vibrant action scenes, but it doesn't. The writing is mostly pretty straight, you know. Whereas Stark mm-hmm. stuff is is a little more insane. So it's not as much fun as uh, as you would think. Kind of like it needs it needs to be like a little more frothy. I think I've talked about how much I'm enjoying Rock Candy Mountain. Uh, the first two issues, uh, and that that manages to strike the balance that I think Nom Wolf is sort of trying for. But I mean, it's kind of you know, sort of entertaining dumb comics. You know, part of me is like, yeah. yeah, I would like I would like a little more from my werewolf in Vietnam stories. But I think most people are like, you're an idiot, Jeff. It's but that's just it. Like, story. would you? Because it's such a, a lazy high concept. The part of me is like, yeah, I feel like if you just play it dumb, then that's enough. Yeah, and I think I think that's what they feel too. And I sort of think that that's kind of the case. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm one of those suckers that's like in the back of my brain, there's like, you know, some great werewolf stories to be written that still haven't been written. But I, I also kind of feel like, you know, God help me. I sometimes wonder if like werewolves are like the doctor strange of monsters, you know, like, which up until... No, surely mummies are the Doctor Strange of monsters. Well, no, because I don't think so. Because I think that to me, werewolves are do- the Doctor Strange of mummy of of monster characters because everyone thinks they have a great werewolf story, but everyone wants to write nope, it and does. nobody wants to read it. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like the mummy story, I I don't think anyone. I don't think even anyone wants to write. No, they don't. The only, it's it's just. It's just copyright retention. Like, you know, apart from Universal Studios, no one's ever like, ah, if only I had control of the mummy license, you know? Um, I read, thanks to the, thanks to Comixology Unlimited, uh, you can get the first two trades of Star Wars, Darth Vader, and, uh, that first trade is pretty good, I have to say. I, I, I just read all four trades. Oh, did you? Five if you include Vader down. Yeah. Uh, which I've, I like, I've been following it in Marvel Unlimited, but reading it in trades is, is much better. Yeah. 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 I can see it. It is, it's really fun. Gillen's got just a really good, strong handle on, on how to do that book, which I, you know, everyone was saying from day one, and I am more than happy to co-sign on, at least after the first trade. The first trade has a lot of clever, just, just, just evil C-3PO alone. Evil C-3PO and evil <laughs> R2-D2 are so uh, I, good. I am not spoiling anything by saying that really soon, if you keep going, mm-hmm. you will meet um, evil thug Chewbacca. Oh, yeah. Actually, there's an evil bounty hunter Wookiee. Is that the one? Yeah. 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 Even th- that appearance. I was like, okay, that's that's 
pretty smart, but I think that I think that Gillen was kind of genius in making the connection between C-3PO and the grand tradition of the evil fop, you know? Yes, yes. And so it's like, it's really... I, I, I love... I love all of his creations for that series, actually. I think Afra is, again, a very obvious idea. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, what if Indiana Jones was evil? Right. Yeah. Uh, but it totally works. It totally works. And, and of course, fits in with Star Wars. Because it's Lucas drawing on exactly the same mm-hmm. tropes. And so mm-hmm. just bringing, you know, it, evil Indiana Jones into Star Wars makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 fun. There's a there's a lot of fun thought going on there. Uh which is interesting because again thanks to some of the um freebie promotional first issues that Marvel's offering through Comicsology Unlimited, I was able to read the first issue of uh Darth Maul, uh which which is not fun. I have to say <laughs> like I think I'm I'm stunned. A yeah. Darth comic written by Colin Bunn is not fun. Wow, you make it sound like a Dr. Seuss thing. That's that true. I, when I realized that Ryan does, like, I, that's a shame. <laughs> it's uh, a shame. No, but really, like, I, Bunn, Bunn writes, a, a, has written a bunch of stuff I do like. Like, I really like six, the Six Gun a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially his Marvel stuff has just not worked for me. And, and in large part because it seems very, Cynical isn't the right word, but not fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and so the idea of him doing Darth Maul in particular just makes me go, "Yeah, it's a comic I don't need to read." It's it's interesting. There's a lot of things. Like I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Salvador La Roca generally. There's times where I think his storytelling is is good, but whether it's photo referencing or just flat effects or whatever. One thing that is sort of helpful, though, is is that the Darth Vader series, at least in the first trade, things feel very consistently in the in the Star Wars universe, which helps. The first issue of Darth Maul has, I mean, one could argue that, of course, it's set during, you know, before the events of the Phantom Menace, so it's supposed to look more like that. But it kind of opens with a sequence where there's a bunch of people who are on a planet who are herding these these uh super violent beasts it's 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 kind of supposed to be a little bit like the opening of predator at least a little bit and it's darth maul versus these giant killing creations it's it's a the thing that's amazing is it's a boring comic in that darth maul literally says the same thing it's like he does something for five pages and then the next five pages is him more or less saying exactly the same thing as the first five pages. And it's also one of those deals where even though it's set in the Phantom Menace years, a little bit of what it has of like, you know, the dark jet, the dark Sith apprentice, you know, figuring out a way to act behind the back of the, the harsh, Darth Sith master who's keeping him on too tight a leash. I'm like, this is Darth Vader number one. Like, this is, this is the same comic except you did it worse. That's not a good idea. Like, you've got to do something else. <laughs> yes. You know? If you're going to do the same comic, at least do it better. Yeah. 
Exactly. Do not fuck it up worse. Which is interesting to me because the other thing is is that I have to say, like, Darth Maul is, uh, you know, kind of one of those characters that is, I think, perfectly designed. Perfectly designed. Every time I look at that character, I'm like, that character looks great. Every choice I agree with. And then you just get into the... But the what character. The, the, yeah, the character situation is like, this is boring as shit. Oh my god, it's pretty bad. I have to say, as long as I'm carping, I did not really dig, I thought America issue number one of America was, which was also available via Comixology Unlimited, was kind of a huge mess. I wasn't surprised. But... I wouldn't go as far as a huge mess, but it is. Uh, it does not live up to, I think, anyone's hopes for it. Okay, well, I have to say, as someone who didn't have much hopes, I was like, when she is basically like, I'm going to college, and then there's this super school with stuff, I was like, really? The, like, I'm going to time travel so that I can get an A in my class, and here I am punching Hitler at the end or something? I'm like, it, ugh, it just didn't, I really spent a lot of time being like, okay, if this was being drawn by one of the Hernandez brothers... And was in an issue of Love and Rockets. Would I find it incredibly delightful and be more forgiving of its sins? And I'm like, I probably would. It would probably seem like very loose, fun, breezy, seat of the pants storytelling. But for whatever reason, I was just looking at this being like, it's kind of leaving me cold. It's kind but, of yeah. giving me enough cues to, you know... You know what I mean? Like, it was just, it's, maybe part of it is, is just, you know, the classic, like, well, dude, it's clearly not for you. But I'm sort of like, I'd like to feel it's for me if I felt like there was a consistent take on the character that I could sort of understand, you know? And this I, is... I think... Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot to the, if this was drawn by the Hernandez brothers, would I find it charming? Yes, I would. Mm -hmm. Because... I think Joe Canones' art is great. I think Canones' th art is great. I think he and, and I think he and Gabby Rivera are uh, doing different comics. Yes, that's kind of what it feels like for me. Is is that his stuff is makes it seem much more like, uh, yeah, like you're getting a certain level of I, I don't want to say professional comic. I, I think she you no, know. but I think she's going much more broad than he is. Yes. Yeah. And I think if you had a quote-unquote cartoonier artist. Right. Yeah, with the that, idea that of like this broadness, is fun. Her broadness mm -hmm. would play better. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, which is which is kind of a – it's kind of a shame. Uh, and then let's see. I'll wrap this up because, of course, otherwise we'll just be talking all fucking night. Um I should say that I read – well, I, I should also mention as long as I'm trying to mention some of the new books that I sort of tried reading, uh, Medicine Number 1, have you heard of it? It's nope. by uh, – where is it? It's a – it's an Action Lab book, Action Lab okay. Danger Zone. So by Jeff Dyer and Mark McKeon with art by David Brame. It's – it makes you it makes you realize sort of what what Mark Miller brings to the table, you know, in a way because oh. 
Oh no. Well, I just mean in the sense that for for whatever his other faults, Miller is able to kind of you're not going to get confused about what the high concept is and sure. to the extent that there is a complex world which there sort of kind of isn't with Miller, but at least he knows how to sort of feed you the info, I guess. Medicine really sort of, the idea is that uh, essentially there is a uh, malady, is this uh, super criminal mastermind who has come up with the idea of taking various doctors and um, more or less turning them into a support staff for his supervillains. So the idea is that these guys are basically sort of, it's, it's, you know, it's like the ER of the comic book world. The, the opening scene has them rushing onto a superhero fight scene where the doctors are running around trying to attend to the injured supervillains and trying to fix them up. But as time goes on, you realize that they're there under, um, more or less various forms of duress. And of course they're kind of like, I'm a doctor. I took an oath to do well, you know, but these are, these are evil shit bags. Why am I, why am I helping them? And the right, the answer is, is that malady can, you know, is more or less holding them hostage in various ways. Uh, one of the doctors is the son of sort of a, a, Lex Luthor style super genius. His grandfather was a Lex Luthor style super genius who actually died in the line of, you know, from injuries um, sustained from a superhero beating. So he's a super genius who has turned gone and become a doctor and um, needs to take drugs to more or less control his super ADD from his genius level thinking. And he is you assume by the time you get to things, he and his medical team are going to be trying to figure a way out of their predicament. So it's got a level, and one of the things, unlike Mark Miller, is these guys clearly did a lot of medical research. So there's a lot of things being thrown around that makes it sound like they know what they're talking about when they're talking about various injuries or the way that people heal sure. up from injuries. So it's in theory, it's the kind of comic that is high concept and if done with a certain love of detail could be a, you know, a good or interesting read, but it, it does kind of, I think, suffer from new creator-itis. Like the world is just, you're just, it's, you're thrown into it too quickly. There's too much backstory. Almost it sounds too busy. Yeah. It's way too busy. The first issue is so busy that you kind of just check out. And like I said, that is sort of, you know, to give the devil his due. Miller is kind of like, okay, I'm giving you kind of a, you know, I'm to the point of making the idea really cheesy and dumb. I'm going to make sure that you get the information at enough of a pace that you, you don't feel like it's overly busy. That's for sure. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the stuff that I've been reading. A few other oh, I actually read like like six issues of Deathstroke. I'm like almost caught up on Deathstroke. I read from issues eight through fifteen, and 
that's a that's a pretty interesting book. But I want to save that for maybe the next time we do a wait what because hopefully I'll be the, caught up. The next time we do a wait what as well, I want to talk to you about uh, Tom King's Batman. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because did you read the Swamp Thing issue? Uh, no, not yet. I, it'll be waiting for me at the store. The uh, the end of the button mm-hmm. uh, being followed up by the Swamp Thing issue. Uh, is, is giving me the feels, Jeff. Really? And it's giving me the feels about something that I feel must have been done in Batman before, but it feels fresh to me as someone who doesn't really follow Batman incredibly closely. Uh, do, like, do, are you going to read the button or should I spoil the button? Uh, I am going to read the button and you should spoil okay. the button. I don't, I'm not, okay. I'm not invested. In the button. Mm-hmm. Batman and the Flash end up in the Flashpoint universe. Right. Where Bruce Wayne's dad is Batman. Yes. And he tells Bruce in no uncertain terms, do something better with your life. Being Batman is a terrible thing to do. You're just going to be unhappy. Do something better with your life. Mm-hmm. And the button ends with Batman basically being like, I'm really shaken up by this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm kind of fucked up by seeing my dad t- and him telling me that. Mm-hmm. And then in the Swamp Thing issue, mm-hmm. it deals with the way that Bruce Wayne is processing grief, specifically the grief about his parents. Mm-hmm. And those two things tying in with what happened in the I Am Suicide arc mm-hmm. has given me like a whole new appreciation of Bruce Wayne as an amazingly fucked up child, basically. Mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne as like child affected by trauma mm-hmm. and the combination of him seeing his dad who's like no you're you're doing a terrible thing to your life you have to stop and then what happens in Brave in the Mold mm-hmm. which I think I'm not even sure is meant to follow on in that way mm-hmm. has left me like I'm really glad that Batman title is going into a flashback for the next few months because I like the idea that it's going to then pick up with Bruce Wayne and he's entirely fucked up hmm like it's just taking a break. It's doing the flashback for the next however my, however long the the next arc runs, mm-hmm. and then it'll come back and be like, "Yeah, Bruce Wayne's a complete mess now." <laughs> hmm. I don't know why I'm appreciating that so much, but I I um I, the I think you might like the this one thing issue a bunch, right? I know I you've had a lot of problems with with King's Batman, uh-huh. but I I like this one thing issue a bunch. Hmm. Okay. Well, I it's you know I'm still signed up and I will give it a go but you're right I'm not I I have had problems with kink stuff and I don't know if it's going to win me over that being said I also have um you know it sounds like I am suicide which was a high mark for you I'm going to have to try and figure out a way to find those fucking issues because uh, I should it's have them the, around here the, somewhere the traits out oh okay if, yeah if you well them, I then... think I've got the issues but I may well if I'm lucky you know I can get the trade off hoopla at some point, maybe, you know, I think that'll yeah. probably work better for me. So, uh, interesting, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's some, that's some prep work. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's fun. Uh, and I will catch up on Deathstroke in that case. And we should, we should talk about that in the next episode, which feels like a great segue mm-hmm. to saying we'll be back in two weeks. That's right. Yeah. This is, this is our, uh, next week is a skip week. I'm going to be traveling. Um, Wish me luck, everyone. <laughs> uh, Jeff is going to be traveling around the country uh, trying to find who he is again. 
That's right. Uh, so if you see any, anyone called Jeff Nomad, <laughs> that does it. He's going to be wearing like the the the, the N costume. Mm-hmm. So I I think we should all really first I, of all I, be thankful. For the yeah. photographs he's going to be posting. Oh boy, believe me, yeah, that's going to be great. But the, yeah, just look look for my um, gaudily decorated RV because that's that's going to be driving from town to town as I look for myself. <laughs> a place oh my god! Now now I wish you were the 1980s cap and you had a Jeff hotline. Oh yeah, that would be great. You know, it's it's a shame. Uh, do you remember the Google uh, voicemail number that I the Google voice number that I had where we took calls for our? I, I remember you had one. Yeah, I had one. It's disconnected now. I didn't use it enough, and so they're like, "We've retired your number," and I'm like, "Ah, I guess I can always get another one." But it would be pretty great to have a hotline that I could set up for just foolishness like that. That would be pretty awesome. Get a new one. <laughs> Graham's like, do it, do it now. Uh, Graham, do you do you want to start, you know, doing that thing that you do? I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. But I would like to tell the listeners, uh, listeners, this is not for Jeff. You can find show notes for this episode <laughs> on waitwatpodcast.com. You can also find stuff on waitwatpods.tumblr.com and on Twitter. At Wait What Podcast. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Lazy Bastard, at L A Z Y B A S T I D, and me on Twitter at Graham M, at G R A E M E M. We are a Patreon supported podcast. Patreon uh, patrons have really kept the show afloat at times where Jeff and I are, are feeling at sea with weather. Like, what, what are we even doing? Why are we alive? Why are we recording a podcast? And then Patreon people are like, we like your show. And we're like, oh, shit, okay, then we should do some more. That's why we do it, people. But because I said Patreon, Jeff has something to say. Oh, you know, actually, here's something that I was going to say. Did you realize that, I mean, our numbering is really screwy, but this is going to be coming out as our 225th episode. Really? Yeah. This is the episode where we die in Dallas. <laughs> Is is that what happens in Uncanny X Men two twenty five? Yeah, it's following mutants. I could be wrong. Like that might be two twenty seven or something. But two twenty five is dev. It's definitely around then. Oh, okay. Um, right. it, if not, then maybe we're going to die next episode in Dallas. Okay. Well, thank God we've got a lot to look forward to. But while we do, I think Graham. Of course, we did say we're traveling. Yeah, that's true. It could happen. I could be there. If you see my garishly colored van uh, explode on the news and um, my very awkwardly fitting uh, costume, like, you know, the N fly across and smash into the camera, you'll know what happened. Uh, patrons, the the people on Patreon, <laughs> as Graham pointed out, really are the best. And we're super grateful to your guys' ongoing support. And we want to give a special shout out to the kind crew at the American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We're uh, especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast, um, and as well as leaving a large chunk of the solar system intact. Not all of it, but enough of it that the rest of us can all get by. And um, we thank you so much for that. Empress Audrey, of course, has eaten part of a planet of broccoli people, which means she is soon to be tried by the Shi'ar. 
I, I, my understanding is Empress Audrey's a little more like Galactus, where she's going to get. Oh, let she's off still going to be tried by the Shi'ar, then. Yeah. Well, that's true. She will also still be tried by the Shi'ar, right? But, but we're probably not going to see the same sort of fallout. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You just don't know. You don't know. So. You could, you could be the Reed Richards that show up and be like, no. Or the Ember's sad John Byrne that shows up and be like, why that what? witch? I always knew she was presumptuous, but you know. Take that, Chris Claremont. <laughs> For people who have no idea what we're talking about, you should really be listening to Boxer Building. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to be back in two weeks. And we're apparently going to be talking about uh, Batman and Swamp Thing and Deathstroke. And really, who knows what else is going to happen in comics over the next two weeks. Oh, God. Right? I actually dread to think, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm sure <laughs> some disastrously bad idea is going to happen. Actually, you know what is going to happen within two weeks? Mm. Uh, the Wonder Woman film's going to open. Oh, right. So, chance not, I at least will have seen Wonder Woman. Jeff mm-hmm. won't have. Because Jeff eats cinema and woman. So why would you go to the Wonder Woman film? But uh, yeah, chances are next week, uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about the Wonder Woman film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds. That sounds. Wow, I can't believe that's going to be out. I'm going to have to hustle just to see uh, the second Guardians film by then. So, ay ay ay, summer will be upon us. Um, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, join us in two weeks. Have a pleasant and wonderful skip week. You really deserve it. Um, yeah. I, th- I think you guys all do deserve the time off. Yeah. <laughs> for putting up with us, <laughs> you do deserve it. For sure. For sure. Whatnots, we love you very much. Bye! Just love